0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Real Deal Talk today. We're with the world-famous Egal. I love that name, man. It's like when you first when I first learned you're like Steven Seagal with no S.
1: I had to come up with something because when I was at the clubs in downtown, the clubs way back in the day, I, the girls would be like, "Hey, what's your name?" I'd be like Egal. They'd be like, "What? Egal? What?" <laughs> like, like Steven Seagal, but Egal. "Oh, okay, I got it." <laughs> You go? What?
0: Oh my gosh! You weren't in the clubs, were you? I was. I was, was. back in the day. Who wasn't right? <laughs> um, yeah, we were probably. No, you're you're an era behind me. You're what? Forty two? Yeah, yeah. When were you running down downtown clubs in the in the two thousands?
1: Yeah, I was uh, start off in in the TJ, the <laughs> <In> TJ, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, graduated to downtown.
0: What, what, the 2000s, like 2001 yeah. to 2000, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because yeah. I was in the 90s. Yeah, exactly.
1: 2001, I was, I was 21. So. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I was exactly one deca- decade ahead of you.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, so ladies and gentlemen, before we get in, and by the way, Gal's got um, an incredible story, and, and this is actually Morris Adato's brother.
1: Younger brother. And if yeah. you
0: guys didn't see Morris's a podcast, he's the uh, owner of Cash Co. Pawn Shop in um on University Heights, is it? University uh, Avenue. University okay. Yeah. Which they used to be partners on, which we're going to get into that as yeah. to why you branched off. But before yeah. we get into that, let's have a word from our sponsor. And their sponsor is me, or us, <laughs> Real Deal Sleep, ladies and gentlemen. If you need a mattress or if you know someone who needs a mattress, if you, want it, if you love the show Real Deal Talk, then you've got to make sure you're supporting the cause here because Real Deal Sleep is flipping the bills here. Right. Uh, real deal sleeps covering the tab because right now this podcast does not have any form of a budget and we don't have any sponsorships officially yet. We haven't gone after them. I haven't done anything. I just want to pour my heart out for about a year, which we're almost at the one year mark, by the way. Nice. And uh, so, anyway, realdealsleep.com. If you need anything else, refer them to us. And by the way, once again, I'm going to thank you from the bottom of my heart for watching, for listening. I'm getting so much feedback on a weekly basis from uh, so many people saying that that the show has touched them, has um, impacted them in a positive way. And I can't tell you <clears throat> how much I appreciate that, and how much I appreciate everybody that's listening and tuning in on a regular basis. Um, if it, and on that note, if you could write a review, I keep saying this, but you know how, it, you, agal, this day and age, like to even click a like is like a hassle for people Yeah. but to write a review or a comment is like oh no 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 yeah. right it's it's major so yeah. i'm going to ask you guys to really you know out of your comfort zones and leave a review because that is going to be you know that's going to push it to the top of the um, you know the search and the uh, youtube and uh, spotify and all that stuff so uh, if, if the show's affected you in any way shape or form in a positive way even if it's a negative way i don't sh- say say it I, i'll take on all i'll take everything <laughs> I will, um, because then we know how to, what to where to improve or, or where we struck a chord, because when we strike a chord, we know we're onto something, right? Yeah. So anyway, um, can't thank you enough, ladies and gentlemen. Tune it in, uh, realdealsleep.com. That's our sponsor. Make sure you uh, uh, either get in here or refer somebody. We appreciate you. All right, so no back. Go ahead.
1: And just a testimonial. I yeah. bought a mattress from you. That's right. And it's an epic mattress, yep. and we sleep incredibly well. Yep. So get in here. Don't go to those stores. Come talk. With real deal, get in here, make the appointment. Yes. And yeah, uh, yeah. enjoy yeah. the incredible atmosphere and journey that you take somebody yeah. through to actually get great sleep.
0: Yep. And, and, and as he said that you can't just walk in here anymore. You can't come in off the, you can't come in off the streets. You need to book an appointment. We, we make you work to get in here now.
1: Love it. And one other thing on the podcast, because I'm also a podcast host, it's not just about leaving the reviews, share it with somebody. Share. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, That's super important. Like share the podcast. If you loved it, share it with somebody else so they get what you got out of it as well.
0: Love it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. That's what I told you. This guy's, this guy's (laughs) done hundreds of episodes. So, and I'm, I can't wait to pick in and, and dig in with you today. All right. So, but first we get before before we get into all of the business and the content and all that stuff. I always like to give the uh, the because you and I barely know each other. We know each other because your brother referred you here. You got a mattress. Yep. Um, I took you to the promised land of sleep. That's pretty much all we know at this point. Um, but uh, as far as actually knowing you, yep. let's give everybody some context. Go back to when you were born and raised. Um, give me a little bit of childhood stuff. How you got to where you're at. How you got into the the pawn business. This and then where you took it from there, but let's go back.
1: Yeah, born in Istanbul, <clears throat> Turkey. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, I came to the States when I was two years old, so I was a baby, grew up here, down in Chula Vista, and um, grew up super happy, uh, had a great childhood. My brother had it harder because he didn't speak the language. I grew up here. So oh, I, yeah. Right, so I, I came in, learned the language, grew up, made a bunch of friends, family life was good. We went through some hardships, and I remember my father... Uh, my brother talked about you know him selling scissors at the swap That's meet. Right, yeah, went yeah. through some ups and downs economically, but had a really good childhood and grew up. And my dream was always to be a singer. It was always, are you serious? Yeah, yeah, to be in a band. So at the age of 16, I was in high school and started a band. And
0: uh, <laughs> we're jumping to high school already. Yeah, well, I mean, you got nothing lower than that. So don't jump ahead so far. Come <laughs> so on. okay, growing up, you were in high school already. <laughs> Love loved basketball. Back. Um, uh, Let's get to the swap meet (laughs) Selling scissors with dad Were you
1: in on this? So I was not I was too young Okay I was at home That's um, right Morris is older than you I was at home watching Like the Care Bears Care Bears uh, (laughs) What is the Care
0: Bears? I don't know what else No wonder you want to be a (laughs) singer.
1: <laughs> there was nothing like epic. It was, you know, what? it's funny. I always talk about like the epic, the care uh, bear there in leadership, but we'll get to that at some point. Care Bears. Yeah. Oh no. Um, I was watching my cartoons, having a good time. Um, I do remember, you know, we talked about this before. Yeah. I do remember being like at the window at five p.m. wanting my dad to come home, mm. and he was working really, really hard. So dad wasn't around. Mom was an epic mom. She was doing everything. Um, I was a great guy, passed away a couple of years ago, Yeah, I remember. great human being, just, just worked his butt off, just worked so much. Um, all the men in my life, they worked, you know, 14, 15 hours a day. Uh, and it seemed like they didn't want to come home <laughs> and I realized why afterward. And we'll, you know, we'll get into that. Yeah. But um, this is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. They like just, they just didn't want to come home. It is a thing. Yeah. Like yeah. some of their businesses were open 24 hours. And I think sometimes, like on purpose, right? Listen, my grandfather came. <laughs> my grandfather, my grandfather came from a place of uh, just poverty. Like didn't have shoes growing up. Yeah, and so he worked so hard to make money. That money was everything. Mm. It really was. Yeah. I mean, my, my grandfather worked sixteen hours a day. Never ate outside. Was a multimillionaire, and sat at the window of the money exchange house for fifteen hours a day. Wow. I think his car, after four years, had like 15,000 miles on it because it was just like home, work, work, home every That's day. That's it. That's it. And so I think like he learned that, uh, you know, he taught that to my father, my uncles, and they came from a, a tough place, you know, being, I'm Jewish, being Jewish in Turkey in a 99.9% Muslim country. Wow. You know, they just had to put their head down and work. They couldn't make noise. They couldn't speak out. They couldn't say anything. And so we came from a place of just work hard, shut your mouth, don't don't speak, don't say anything, no feelings, no emotions, and just get it done. Wow. No emotions, huh? Yeah. No, I mean, everything was like, put it underneath, the, like, you yeah, know, sweep it up, under, sweep yeah, it under here. Bottle it up. Yeah. And I mean, later in life, I had to go to a lot of therapy to just be able to speak, <laughs> just wow. be able to like share my thoughts. Yeah.
0: Because you were programmed.
1: I was programmed not to say anything. And not just because... Of where they came from, but because in the Jewish community, you're programmed not to share because there's a lot of judgment, uh, and so you're just like, hey, don't don't say anything. You're the Adato. You come from the Adato family. Don't say anything. Don't talk. Let's make sure that everyone knows that we're doing great, uh, right? So at, at from from a young age, I was just programmed not to say anything. I mean, the first time I went to therapy, my mom's like, well, why don't you just talk to me? And I was like, mom, fifty percent of my therapy is. Because of you, like, right. <laughs> like <laughs> I have to talk about you in therapy, so I can't talk to you about that. You know, and wow. um, yeah, there was just a lot of you know, stay quiet, don't don't share a lot of your emotions, um, and uh, you know, add that to like being a man. You know, just yeah. be a man. Yeah. Don't cry. Right. Don't say. Yeah. And we, you know, I'm sure that
0: can't show vulnerability. Can't show
1: vulnerability. Any like, of that type of not stuff. like you're
0: soft or anything.
1: Exactly. So like. You know, growing up, childhood was great. We had some days we didn't have. You know, some days I was in karate and music and, you know, whatever classes. And then I remember years where it was like nothing.
0: Mm.
1: Absolutely nothing. Because there was no money. Because there was no money, right? So they had like a clothing business, went out of business. They had a restaurant, went out of business. And you think about like my father's journey through entrepreneurship and business and when he passed away, they were uber successful, but they failed a lot. Wow. And so we went through that failure with him, right? And my mom, you know, that always cooked home-cooked meals. There wasn't a moment where, like, we ate mac and cheese and beans and rice. They they did a really good job of being able to not make us feel the grunt of it. Yeah, yeah. We didn't live in a two-bedroom apartment with 18 people. Right. We lived in a, in a home, and we each had our room, and sometimes we shared a room, but... But still, like we we felt a little bit of that. But what we did feel was the stress and the overwhelm that I did get.
0: You did feel that, yeah.
1: And I remember my whole life growing up saying, "I I don't want to work like that. I don't want to be that way." Mm. And I'll never forget. it. I was probably like fourteen years old. I needed some money to go to camp or something. And my father was really great about. I'm not going to pay for everything. If you want something, yeah, come and work. It. Yeah. So I came to work. He put me in the vault of the pawn shop. Yeah. There's twenty thousand envelopes everywhere. And he's like, "I just need you to count all the envelopes." I was like, "Okay." Here we go. Sat in the chair, count all the envelopes. You mean counted the like, money in the envelopes? No, no, no. So there was jewelry in the envelope. It's a pawn shop, oh. so there's jewelry inside of the envelopes. Got it. Okay. Right. <clears throat> and uh, so I was like, it's kind of like doing inventory. Oh, so this this
0: is so this is the collateral that people are giving you for loans.
1: Exactly. So I'm a, I'm it. a third generation pawnbroker. Right. Right. So my father and my grandfather they're all pawnbrokers. And so I, I saw it in the vault, imagine like a bank vault just filled yeah. with envelopes with jewelry inside, and this is the collateral. And I remember like one hour would pass by, two hour passed by, and the third hour, like I threw my chair on the ground, I got up and I started yelling at my dad, at 14 years old, I'm like, take me home. He's like, why is it? And I was like, I just don't wanna be like you. Because oh, wow. all I thought about was how hard he worked and how he wasn't there. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, I don't wanna do this. Wow. And so there was a lot of what, like- what,
0: How did he react?
1: He's like, well, how are you going to get to camp? I was like, I don't care. I just don't... like. I, I'm sure he was hurt, Yeah. but at the age of 14, he was probably like, oh, this teenager doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, yeah. here we go again. You know, My brother was a problem child. I was a saint. Like, yeah, my brother was... Like a, <laughs> he was a problem child. Like, I was the middle child. I was a really good kid growing up, didn't cause any trouble. So I, I led an easier life than he did growing up. Yeah. You know? Um, but, uh, so this
0: this is, hold on. So this is the, how many times had you been in to help him at the pawn shop prior to this one?
1: Uh, A lot. Like I I cleaned bathrooms. So what was it about this visit? I think it was just like the silence of sitting in the shop in the vault and just reliving like when my father wasn't there. Right. He provided incredibly well, but like just was absent. Wow. You know, he didn't go to our games. Um, and it's not to talk bad about my dad. Right. It's just to be real.
0: Yeah, we're being, like, we're,
1: this is real deal <laughs> talk, yeah, man. This right? isn't fake deal talk. And so, like, there was a point where, you know, like, two years ago when my dad passed away, uh, I don't think I've ever apologized so much to my dad. Wow. And I, I don't think I've ever asked, like, for forgiveness on his deathbed because of, I just, like, started, like, as I sat there and he was in hospice in our home. In my mom's house, and we were taking shifts with my brother and my sister, it was like hours of silence, just like looking at my father. And I started reliving all this stuff. Wow. And I started reliving like the anger I had towards him because he wasn't there. But then I started to realize the why, right? Because, because the relationship with my mom and things like that. But I just started asking for forgiveness. And so going back to when I was 14 in the vault, Yeah, I think it was just because I didn't know. Right? I wasn't mature enough to realize why he worked so hard, where he mm. came from. He didn't have the opportunity to do therapy like I did mm. and go through all these personal development courses and books. He just saw what he saw from his father. Right. And his father was a whole different level. Wow. Right. His father would be at a dinner with my grandmother. Can I cuss on the show? Sure. Know. You know, um, and my, my grandmother would say something and he'd say, shut up, bitch, you know, oh, just right. sit down. Like it was, it was tough. Wow. Yeah. It was really, really tough to see. And, uh, so he, that's, that's, that was his teacher. Yeah. That's where he learned from. And so years afterward, I was able to forgive and ask for forgiveness for every single day, just being like, I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like him. But when you get mature and you see the why yeah. and the understanding, you're like, God, I wish he had the opportunities that I that right. he gave me because right. he taught me everything in business. It's because of him. I made the money to go to therapy. And to go to personal development, and to pay thousands of dollars to go to courses and all this type of stuff. Yep. But when you're in the midst, you don't see it, and there's anger there, and until you don't judgment, and there's judgment, yeah. And until you don't let go and forgive what like your parents and your father did to you, you can't become a man. You can't Mm, become a great father. Wow. You can't become a great husband. You can't become anything until you let it go.
0: I. Dude, the you 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 know the musical at, at awaken twisted yeah the musical yeah. this is this is and I have goosebumps all over my body right now because we just saw it this past week. Have you guys been to this? No. You, you have to go to this. All right. When we get off the air, you're, I'm making you go. This is the whole freaking play. Is about what you just said. Is we're all twisted and in, twisted inside mm. because of the re, the blame that we have and the the uh, from our it was his father. It was about his father. Yeah. It's the same thing. <laughs> you just said it. And you yeah. cannot heal and move forward until you address the past, until you forgive.
1: Yeah. I talk about, you know, you talk about twists. I talk about being locked up. You know, what I talk about is unlocking leadership a lot. Yeah. And I was, I was locked up 14, 15, 16. And what, when I got locked up, it caused me to, you know, it's, I think I, I had sex my first time was 14 or 15 years old. And I started just wanting to tend my physical garden. Right. What does that mean? So it wasn't about my emotions. It was just about like having sex. Uh, It was about girls and partying and clubbing and the physical aspect, the pleasure aspect, because I didn't want to deal with the emotions of what I'd gone through. And I didn't go through like a trauma. I wasn't abused, but there was lockup. And when you get locked up as a leader, you try to numb the pain through alcohol, drugs, porn, sex, whatever that stuff is. And I started doing that at a very young age. There's stories where I would hook up with women, three of them in a day. Yeah. You know, just to be able to get out what I needed to get out. Wow. And, um, mm. and I started realizing that. Interesting. Yeah, I started realizing that more and more as I got older. And, uh, and I realized that I've got to work on myself. There's no way I can keep doing this. Right, like I was just locked up. I wasn't forgiving people. I was angry at the world, angry at the men in my life for not being around. I never played football. I never threw a ball with my dad. Yeah. I think the first time my dad came to see a soccer game, I broke a finger. He's like, "That's it. I'm bad luck. I'm never coming back."
0: <laughs> Are you serious? And he
1: never went to a game again. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh my god. That's it. My brother talked about this. We'd we'd be around like the the Sabbath table Friday night having a Sabbath meal, and the conversation was like, "How's business?" Because we never got to dive into emotions.
0: Wow, and so because my dad wasn't present when mm. I was a kid, but I, I don't remember any animosity or anything. Like, uh, uh, and I was kind of like you with the, the party and the girls, and so I'm thinking, was I locked up and didn't know it?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Like there was there was anger. I think because my mom took over like the the father side as well, uh. and there were times where I'd be like. 18 years old, wanted to go party. And my mom would be like, oh, you're not gonna watch a movie with me? I was like, no. I should be back, but I'm alone. So I think I was angry because my father left my mom alone mm. and I was like the stand-in fa- the husband. Wow. My brother was out partying, doing his thing. He was already out there. He was already out there. My sister was too young. And so I became uh, I became like the, the, the spouse in a very toxic manner. Wow. And so it pissed me off even more towards my dad, right? I was even angrier towards my father. Like, why aren't you here to be with my mom? Why is it me who gets the guilt trip, right? And, I, should, and, I shouldn't be getting this. And how was your mom? Was she was she
0: happy from what you saw or?
1: No, I mean, she was she happy? I think there was happiness. Yeah. But I think that there was dreams that were unfulfilled. Like she always wanted to go dancing, and my father just never took her dancing. She always wanted to travel. My father didn't take her to travel. And it's not because there wasn't money. It's because my father was just working and doing some other dumb shit he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he was just always working, right? Yeah. And so she wanted, she, my mom's a very passionate woman. And when they first got married, there was passion. But again, looking back at it now, my father was extremely locked up. He was. Extremely. That's right. And there was a lot of emotion that he didn't show. My father was diagnosed with Parkinson's and dementia at 59 years old. In my belief, I'm not a doctor, zero, don't, th- don't take this as medical de- advice, but he held in everything so much that I believe something popped mm. inside. And that's why he got Parkinson's. Because he I, just held it all I, in. Yeah, I don't think it's a
0: coincidence. Um, Agreed. And so, and so when he was on his deathbed, you, this came to you to, cause then you were like, oh, that's when it, that's when it really, really came to you. Like all those years, it really wasn't his fault.
1: Well, I mean, I had done a lot of therapy and work and leadership development beforehand, Yeah, but the culmination was my father passing away, like sitting him, you know, seeing him in bed, um, just talking to them and he can't respond. There was a moment but it it brings me chills we were playing like relaxing music because that's what they had told us to play and i have like ring footage of this which is insane and i was like I, I can't do this anymore like i'm i'm dying inside watching him die and so i'm like pops like i held his hand and he he couldn't move he was just like breathing laying down and i put mark anthony's uh, like a cumbia song because he loved cumbia right and it, it was um the song started playing, like, Bops, just dance with me, right? Let's just dance together one last time. And he held my hand, and he squeezed my hand, and he started moving it. And I was like, oh, my God. And I I lost it. I I lost it, dude. I lost it because I realized that my father just wanted to dance. And, And he was locked up, man like he he didn't have the opportunities that he gave me, and so I apologized. I was like, man, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry for for not seeing like what you went through. I'm so sorry for not being mature enough to not be so angry at you because my anger pushed me away from him, mm-hmm. and my anger when he was sick, my anger. Made me not be around him so much. Mm. Right. And so, um, and like now with my mom who had a stroke, she can't speak. I want to be there as much as possible. And now I tell people, like, hey, I love you. Like, I have friends now, and I'll be like, hey, I love you, man. Yeah. Like, cause you just, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Right. So I'll, I'll say, I love you. I, I, I'm present with my daughters a lot more. You guys spoke about with my brother's challenge about like putting your phone down. Yeah, yeah. Like, I get home and I try to do that as much as possible. Um, and so that, like when my father was on his deathbed, I just, it like hit me like a ton of bricks, Wow, you know? Um, and uh, I realized that I can't let life get in the way. I can't let work get in the way of being present, of wanting to dance, of wanting to travel, of wanting to love. And yeah, that was a culmination. Why wow. I, I need to get a tissue. Yeah. Right
0: there. <laughs> Look at this, huh? Thanks. Man. I got the podcast king. <laughs> oh,
1: it's not the first time I cry about this, man. <laughs> I think when you have three daughters, you become a little worse. <laughs> like I watch movies, I'm like, <laughs> you know. So, um, oh my, yeah. Gosh. So love it. But uh, yeah, it was just like the culmination. It it when you forgive, man. When you let go, when you unlock yourself, that's when your true potential is there. And I was, I realized that I had locked myself up growing up. And I continued to lock myself up, and the locks get like. Think about like you put yourself in a box, and there's like one chain, another chain, a padlock, and like you put like cement around it, like you you know you put it down into the bottom of the ocean, <laughs> and like and you're just sitting there living life, and that life sucks.
0: And so, what what is the main thing that causes being locked up? Is it is it trauma growing up? Is it programming? And how do you know?
1: So you you don't know. That's the sad Mm. part. It's really hard to know unless you do like intense work on yourself, which I've done intense work on myself. And what I mean by intense work on myself, I'm talking about like everything from like NLP to, uh, I've been to Tony Robbins events, but I've gone to therapy probably every week for the last 10 years. Wow. And not because like, oh, I'm crazy, I need therapy, but it's a way for me to get the stuff that's like locked up inside out. Yeah. You know, we talked about it before. Like, I, I got married and I wouldn't communicate with my wife. I just wouldn't. Like, I wouldn't say anything. She's like, "Please talk to me." You just locked You just. I was just. Locked, I was just like, yeah, just, just locked up. And so, you asked the question. You're like, "How do you know you get locked up?" We all have stuff in our lives that lock us up. All of us. Like, tra- when you say trauma, there's different types of trauma. Right. Right. There's, there's like hardcore trauma, molestation. You know, seeing. Like, I remember going to a course called landmark forum. And and they said, why are you here? And somebody stood up and said, you know, my mother shot my dad in front of me. I was like, oh my God, why am I here? yeah I've gone through nothing compared to some of these people, but we go through these small little traumas and we push them aside thinking they're nothing big. Like it's not going to affect my life. Nothing's going to happen, but they do. And they program you to be a certain way. It programmed me to not speak. To not talk, to not communicate, to hold everything in, to not be transparent and vulnerable, and just to hold in everything, because I had to show this status of some yeah. sort, this fake status, right, right, for my community, for my friends, whatever that is, and so that was my trauma. So right? how did you how did you take it upon
0: yourself to go to? Because I'm I'm gonna assume that nobody in your family had gone to, to therapy before, unless your brother paved the way on that one.
1: No. No, I think I was one of the first to really go consistently.
0: Did your parents, did you tell your parents? When no. You were, no, I was going to say, no. if you told them, like, oh, no. It was
1: funny. I was um, I was ICQ chatting with my now wife, and uh, she had been to therapy for some reason. And she's the one who recommended. Really? Yeah, you know, like, you You need to go, like, if like, you should just check it out. How long have you guys been together? Um, we've been married for 10 years. We've been together for 16. 16. Yeah, we dated six years because of... Like, I never wanted to get married. Like, I told her. I was like, being a dad, I'm going to be a kick-ass dad. But marriage, absolutely not. Why? Because I saw... Because you saw... No, I didn't see good marriages around me. Like, I'd go to synagogue, and uh, it was always, like, the men complaining... Yeah, about being married. Oh, don't get married. Uh, uh, blah 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 blah. It sucks, and if you, you you're not gonna have a life, it was just no. Nobody ever was like, God, marriage is so beautiful. Yeah, I love my wife. I She's love amazing. my wife. She's amazing. Like, I don't know what I'd do without her. She's my support. Like, th- that didn't exist. It was like there's a guy who was in the pawn industry, and he called it like the brotherhood of the miserable.
0: He called it that.
1: Yeah. Right. Like you were now part of the brotherhood of the miserable. Like. Everybody is miserable. This sucks, right? Yeah. Oh, you think you're spending money now? Wait till you get married. Oh, you think blah, 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 blah. Wait till you get... It it, it sucked, man. It was was traumatic. Yes. Thinking about it now, I wanted nothing to do with marriage. There was absolutely no way I was getting married. And so I went around whoring myself. Like I was just out there just... You know, night after night, relationship after relationship, I have zero connection. It was only physical. If the girl did something wrong physically, that's it. It was done. If she had too much hair on her arm, boop, it was finished. Like, (laughs) it it was ridiculous, man. Wow. And And so I grew up with the trauma of not wanting to ever get married.
0: And and it's no surprise with that type of uh, surroundings and environment. And you're right. The more I think about it, the more you're talking about it is... I, you know, I I still to this day hear guys do the same type of complaining. Yeah, it's like shut your mouth. Like, oh, you know, just wait. Oh, did you get, you know, the same
1: thing. And so I, I'll get that. Like, um, I've gotten that in the synagogue. So when we go to synagogue, we get called up to prayer. All right, hold right.
0: on. S- explain what synagogue is. Yeah, so I'm, I'm you're, Jewish. You're throwing this name around. Like I'm Jewish, like we and all so my, what...
1: my church is the synagogue. Yeah, right? okay. oh, there it is. Okay. <laughs> we call it synagogue, temple, and there uh... was a bar. <laughs> Might be more fun sometimes. No, I'm um, And are kidding. And so as like a young man, you get called up to prayer. And when you come down, people congratulate you, right? They say, oh, congratulations. And they'll say, oh, wait, you know, maybe you get married and whatever that is. And some guy's like, oh, maybe you get married. And are you sure you want to do that? And they start talking smack.
0: Yeah. Like right, right there.
1: there. So I'll turn around to the old farts, these guys who are the brothers of the miserable. I'll be like, hey, just because you've got a shitty relationship and a bad marriage doesn't mean that he has to have one. So stop it like being serious, like you're dead serious, like I'm dead. Like I look yeah. at me dead serious and they like, Oh, I didn't mean it. No, no, you did. Because, is this happening to this day? Yeah. You're, you're putting on this negative talk to this young guy who is engaged or has a girlfriend who wants to get married and you're already shoving shit down his throat. Like yeah. stop it. Why do you have to put that? Your marriage isn't working. Go get some work done. Yeah, Exactly. Right it's your fault, your marriage isn't working. go work on yourself go get, you know go get some therapy, whatever it is, but stop flinging that stuff all around to make yourself feel better enough yeah
0: wow all right so so all right, so where like at uh you said fourteen, yeah. you were in the vault, mmm. And uh, why was it? Was it so? It was that moment? But prior to that moment, you had already been seeing. I don't want this. I don't want this. What I don't like. What Dad was working all the time. Work, and then fourteen. It culminated right there. Like that's it. Well, I, I, like
1: the- I wanted a job, and so I wore yeah. like the nice pants, the nice shirt. I thought I was going to do something awesome at work. I was the boss's son. I thought I was going to make me like manager for the day, right? I thought I was going to have some cool. Uh, you know name tag right. that had like assistant manager you know I thought I was going to be bowed down to by all the employees <laughs> right and he's like no you know first and foremost here's a bucket go clean the toilet my father was great at that Yeah, like showed us like the value of money and uh, then when I finished that I was like dad that sucked he's like great I'm going to give you the second most important job it's like inventory go to the vault and uh, yeah I just came up there. I was like I'm, I'm not going to I don't want to do this
0: and then so this is 14 all right now, what happened after did you go back to the pawn shop at all and work? Oh, no. I, no. I
1: went to go be a rock star.
0: All right. So talk to me. Right. Uh, that's what I wanted to get at. <laughs> when, at what point, what did it for you of wanting to be a rock star? Who did you see early on in life? How did this happen? I mean, I, you kind of look like a boy band guy. <laughs> <laughs> no. So um, I was like, I, I remember I was in Israel and I saw Aerosmith. When I was 14 Four, okay. on stage. So it wasn't until 14 till you, till you started thinking
1: about this. Well, I've always loved music. Yeah. I was always a music fan. Okay, Right? But it wasn't until like 14, 15, 16, I was like, man, I want some attention. And that's it. Yeah. And I'm seeing all the attention that these rock yeah, stars are yeah, getting yeah. from the women, you know, panties being thrown on stage, like all this crazy stuff. And I was like, all right, I can do this. <laughs> this is what I want. Oh Lord! So fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. I was like, okay, how can I keep? How how can I do this? So um, wanted attention. I think. It, I mean, I remember in high school, I joined like the show choir. Uh, we traveled and sixteen, seventeen, started a band called Freak of Nature.
0: Freak of Nature. Yeah. Oh
1: boy. And uh, it was it was incredible. And I didn't have to work. And I was so just wait, sing. wait,
0: wait. Yeah. Go back to the, <laughs> go back to the. You so you joined the choir? Is that the first thing that you did? Was join the choir? Um, so did, did you have a voice? Did you,
1: did you know you had a voice? Did yeah, you? I knew I could sing because at synagogue, which, is not, a, which is not a bar, um, I would sing the club. The, uh, the club. <laughs> I would sing the prayers. So at the age of like seven, uh, eight years old, Oh, okay, I'd, st- I'd stand there with the cantor, who's the person who sang the prayers, yeah. um, and I'd sing with him. And so I always loved singing prayer when I was young, right. And I was good at it. And I, and I did it. till this day. right and so i think just back 14 15 i kind of rebelled um i remember actually man you're bringing up a lot of memories this is cool um i was in a a jewish school and at 15 years old 15 16 years old i was going to transfer to a jewish high school in los angeles where i was going to become a cantor myself so i was going to become religious and my goal was to sing
0: what's a cantor
1: a cantor, so there's usually in a synagogue, there's a rabbi and a cantor. Okay. The rabbi is the spiritual leader and the cantor is the person who has a good voice because the rabbi doesn't usually have a good voice. <laughs> so the ra- the cantor is a person who sings uh, the prayers and just kind of inspires the people through song. And it's bu- it's beautiful singing, yeah, yeah. right? Maybe if you get lucky, give me a couple of drinks. You can, give me a couple I'll of notes. Yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> and so I, I wanted to aspire to be that. And at fourteen, fifteen is when like my rebellion stage came out, and because I loved singing so much, I was like, ah, oh, next closest thing, rock star. Yeah, <laughs> like from like religious observing yeah. person to like Prayers. no panties flung at yeah. me, rock star, savage. From praying <laughs> to, to, to panties. Party, <laughs> to pant- <laughs> <laughs> exactly great <laughs> and so uh dad I, was probably fired up about that <laughs> and so i uh i went down this path of of wanting to be a rock star now, so the,
0: so did the whole family go to the synagogue every weekend
1: so i i was the most religious yeah um because i i went to the hebrew day school and something connected with my soul um i was the most observant of my family. We're a very traditional family, yeah. right? More talked about Friday nights. We didn't go to football games. Right. It was like the Sabbath meal. Uh, I took it further. I was in synagogue a lot more. I prayed a lot more. I was just- and the
0: synagogues every Sunday, yeah?
1: Synagogue is uh, Friday nights, Saturdays, and when you're um, when you're older, they go every day.
0: And what's the difference between this and like Christianity, Catholicism? Can you sum that up real quick?
1: So yeah, Judaism believes- The way you believes... guys do it? Uh, The way that we do it. Yeah. Uh, So Judaism, you pray three times a day. You pray out of a book of prayers. There's a lot of Psalms, uh, Proverbs that are sung by very prominent people from the past. And it's all about gratitude. So you wake up and you say, You say, God, thank you so much for instilling my soul back into me to live another day. Wow. You wake up, you wash your hands. And then everything is a prayer. You drink water. You say, varo. you eat something. There's, pra- there's consistent prayer and gratitude for everything. So what's with the washing of the hands thing? So you wash the hands because uh, two things. One, it's, it's said that your soul at night leaves your body through your fingers. And so you wash your hands to cleanse that part. And also because the high priests in the times of the temple would wash their hands before going in to the Holy of Holies to speak and be with God. So we do that as to go into your day to be with God. So you wash your hands.
0: Right? And so do you, do you, to this day, do you every morning wake up and express not, gratitude?
1: Not, so I express gratitude. Every morning I wake up, I say, and every day I wrap the phylactites. Have you seen that? Like no. the, the, it's So uh, in, in the Torah, uh, it says that you should bind God to your heart and to your head. And so as Jews, we have leather phylactites, which are called tefillin, and it has a box of prayer. Uh, of parchment with prayer on it and it's touching our hearts and then one on our heads. And so every morning I wake up and I pray with God on my heart and in my head. So you do
0: this every morning? Every morning. And you tie something right here? And I
1: tie something. I'll show you a picture. Yeah, I tie something.
0: No kidding. Yeah. So, so you wake up, you roll out of bed. Where roll you, out of bed. Where do you do this? Do you have a little prayer area? So,
1: so either I do it at home if I have time or if not, when I get to work. Got it, okay. Right? So sometimes it's crazy.
0: So you have a separate office yeah, for yeah. doing what you do. I'll show you.
1: Yeah. Let's see. So I, I, I've got a prayer shawl, right? That I pray with, and then oh, wow, I That's wrap. That's you, huh? Yeah.
0: You look like a, like a, a barbarian warrior. There you like go. Look, oh. So
1: yeah, for me it's it's wrapping my. Me see that. So I put on my armor daily. This is every day. This is every day except for the Sabbath, because so you, you don't wrap on the Sabbath. So, I put on my armor every day. that's my armor. Wow, dude, that's so cool. yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. you never miss a day. um so I've been off and on here and there, yeah. but the last two months I've been every single day, and my goal is to go the rest of my life every single day. So Jewish men rap every single day after their bar mitzvah, after they're 13 years old
0: and give me the give me the what that uh, what that signifies when you do that
1: yeah, so um as I stated in the Torah. Yep. in the old testament yep. god said you will bind me to your heart and to your mind and so we do that when we pray so we're binding god to our heart and to our mind so inside of those boxes is a prayer that says shema israel like hero israel god is one that's the prayer so we bind so that. that's
0: the same prayer that you say every time when that's on correct how long does this last like a couple minutes that's so
1: it. i mean you can there's people who pray for an hour there's people who pray for 20 minutes. It depends on how you connect. There are days where I'll just rap and I'll say a prayer quickly and I'll meditate. Yep. There are days where I'll sit like that for thirty minutes and just pray and
0: meditate. And when you pray, just pray for um, a gratitude, your family, every name. It. So we we have a
1: you got a whole a, thing a, a succinct prayer book that we pray uh, through. And while I'm praying through that, I'm praying for whatever my wants needs are because yeah. my belief is, if you don't pray for what you want, God can't hear and give you what you need. Like they just, if you don't ask for that, you don't get it. Yeah. And if pretty, you just, if you wake up and you're just negative every day, then the connection will just be negative.
0: that That's a fact. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, absolutely. Wow. Interesting. All right. So we're go back. We're, we're, so
1: go back to, um, we were talking about praying to panties. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: that's right. <laughs> so at the, at the synagogue club. <laughs> At Club Synagogue. Club Synagogue.
1: <laughs> and uh, so I, I kind of rebelled. It was, a point, I think, well, 14, 15, I started realizing what was happening in my parents' marriage and, like, what was going on. I started to rebelled, wanted to become a rock star, formed a band, like, at 16. And I think we played, like, a high school dance, like, one of those things. And we just rocked, it, and I loved the attention. I love. We were a very talented group of guys. It wasn't, like, a
0: crappy How did you form band. this band? Would you go around and just?
1: No. So, one was my best friend, Aaron, who to this day is in the music industry. Uh, his two brothers, um, Danny and Elon. Elon was nine years old at the time. He's a prodigy drummer who drums for Nine Inch Nails. Shut up. Angels and Airwaves. No way. Uh, drums for like on a lot of records that you've probably listened to. He's a brilliant drummer. And then we got, you know, another guitarist, Chris, and the bass. Like, we just formed the band and um, we played, and I had the time of my life. And so my goal in life was to become a rock star. That's it. Like I found my calling. I was like, so, work, pawn shop. Yeah. Like, who cares? Rock star, let's go.
0: And so your first gig was the high school?
1: It was like a high school dance of some sort. No, hold on a second. It was a talent show at the high school, Yeah. which we crushed it. Right. Right. And then we played like a high school dance and then we did coffee shops and then, you know, fast forward a little bit, we we did uh, we opened Woodstock ninety nine, we played a warp tour, we opened for bands like No Doubt, Weezer, what? Blink 182. No uh, way. Yeah, here in San Diego at Soma. Um, so we opened for bands like that. Did you yeah. ever play at Kane's Bar and Grill? Of course I played at Canes Bar That's where Bar and I worked. Grill. That was my, that was like our second home. That's where I worked. Really? Yes. You probably, hear me, you probably heard me play at some I point. opened that club as head of security. Really? Yes. Yeah, so you you probably heard me play at some point.
0: Oh my gosh. You yeah. got Eric Lightstein's a personal friend of mine. Yeah. He, the, he was the main yeah. owner at that point. And, yeah. Joe, and Joe Longo.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They, so we we played there once. We played, we opened for Weezer at Keynes one time. Oh my God. What, so these were early 2000s. Then. Early, yep right it was 9 actually it was 98 to early 2000s so, so dude i was there yeah. in 98 i'm sure we were like cross paths somewhere you probably had to jump on stage and grab a groupie Take it yeah, away right, from him. Right, right.
0: <laughs> Deliver them to you.
1: <laughs> it was a great time, though. I mean, I, I had a blast.
0: Unbelievable. I knew that because he has a great venue for all of the, I mean, Prince played there and yeah. everybody.
1: And, and he was great because he, he would put local artists mm-hmm. up with like yeah, yeah, up and coming yeah. artists. And one of the things that that like, music did for me was allowed me to get my anger out.
0: Really? Yeah. Like, so what, what what kind of, what was your genre? Just hard rock? So we or? played
1: like, at first it was like the pop punk style. Then it became like hard rock I'll, I'll, I've got some songs I'll play them oh for Lord. you. Here we go. And um, and then it became just like, I got I got angry. I wasn't I wasn't like scream rock. I didn't like that stuff. Yeah. Like when you listen to the music, it's like, how can you do this to me? I'm all alone. Like it's a lot of lyrics like that, you know.
0: And, so you were doing the writing as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So oh, I was one God. of the lead singers and then writing, and I, I got a lot of my anger out through music. Thankful it was like my therapy. No kidding. Yeah. I was able to get on stage scream into that microphone what I actually felt because I didn't do it anywhere else.
0: Wow, interesting. So that was your actual therapy. Yeah. When did you, when did you start actual therapy? Is that I, when you met your now wife?
1: Yeah, so probably 16 years ago, 17 years ago, I started actual therapy. I just realized, I would look back at my songs, I was like, ah, oh, there's a little bit of an angry kid here, right? I actually found, it was funny, I found, I was moving from a, from a house, I found my my lyric book, and I opened it up, and I was like, "Damn, I was a little bit angry there, you know." I was, something was going on. Let's let's figure this thing out before we continue in life.
0: Yeah, and so. All right, so yeah, go back. I didn't mean to jump ahead. That's there. Okay. Go back. So you're 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 playing at Cage, You're opening yeah. for here, opening for there. Was it just nuts? Just crazy? All the attention that you could have possibly wanted or needed, right?
1: Oh, it was it was incredible. Like I loved every moment of it. And you every stayed moment. in school.
0: You stayed high stayed school. in
1: school. I finished high school. I finished high school. Um, went to college, played through college, didn't finish college because we opened up the pawn shop and I'll tell you that story. And I, it was amazing. It was like six years for me. It was just like pure bliss. Like every wow. weekend, Los Angeles, San Diego, Canes, Soma. We played some really crappy shows where there was like two people out there. Yeah. We had a record deal. We had people talking to us. Uh, you know, it was, it was you know, ups and downs in that whole process. So and- Alcohol. Alcohol. drugs, No drugs. Really? I, I don't know why. I remember there was, a, interesting. there was a moment like we were going to a party in Los Angeles in a limo and there was Coke that there, there, people were doing off of like a CD case, yep. just lines of Coke. And I think it was because how I was raised, like my morals, my values, mm. my ethics, going to Jewish school, uh, you know, there was prayer before the panties. <laughs> and uh, there was just something about like me not wanting to lose total control, mm. So I never did drugs. I didn't even smoke weed. Wow. Right? I drank, I think because it was just so normal. But there was Coke, there was heroin, there was weed. And your bandmates get into it without... Um, without. I, I, I think maybe some of them. It wasn't like... We wasn't were like, like a like good a group of kids, yeah. But like everybody around us was just hard. Like we'd go to parties in L.A., and it was like musicians, actors, and it was like hardcore. Oh, yeah. Coke, and yeah. drugs, yep. and all that type of stuff. And just thankfully, thank God, like yeah, I just did. I didn't go down that route. Because if
0: you guys have even
1: touched it, it, it,
0: it half of it you would have been gone.
1: Gone. And so, I mean, one of the guys in the band did a lot of weed. We had to kick him out because of that. Oh, really? Yeah, because he just, it was just, he just became dumb. Yeah. Like he was just high all day and was just dumb. Yeah. yeah. And we just couldn't do it. And we had a nine year old, remember, yeah. in the band. So, we, thankfully, I didn't go down that route. It was just a lot of- No kidding, out, It yeah. was a lot of alcohol, um, a lot of like wanting attention, and there's some of that like I work on currently, like the whole attention thing. And, but yeah, it was,
0: it was. And then what, What? how did that come to an end? Because you, you went to college, where'd you go to college? I went to college at San Diego State. San Diego State, okay. Yeah,
1: went to college at San Diego State. Actually, I started, I went to like Mesa, UCSD, SDSU, I like bounced around, I never finished college. And it, what it was what year to, were you at Mesa? Uh, Mesa was like 90, 99, probably. Okay, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I had I left Mesa, and actually, dude, I was there. <laughs> I, I think I set the all time record for Mesa
1: <laughs> for being there for, the longest. For community
0: college, <laughs> I was there seven years. It was a great school. My plaque's on the wall, <laughs> they gave you a trophy. Boy, well, I, I got out of the military, so I just got any. Degree to get money from the military because they yeah. paid me the GI bill. and oh. Just gave me a check. Yeah. So I just did anything. Gotcha. And then I finally actually did something, which was uh, X-ray technology. Okay. Which was ninety-eight to two thousand. So I was there when. Okay. There. So I was there. Yeah. Yeah. I was there. It's funny. Unbelievable.
1: And uh, so I went to like UCSD, SDSU, Mesa, all those colleges, bounced around, and at some point, I think I was like twenty-one or twenty-two. Um, the drummer, who to this day is a prodigy, incredible, was asked to do something with a different band. Like, hey, can you play for us? For this something? was the nine-year-old, right? This was the, so at the moment, he was like 13. Okay. 13 or 14. Wow. And he just started getting asked to do a lot more stuff. And so his father's like, hey guys, this has been a wild ride. It's been great. But we're gonna go down this path. And so we kind of just, nothing was going on. We were broke rock stars. Yeah. We were rock stars in our mind. Yeah. We were in the pocket. We were broke. So we just kind of like disbanded. And uh, at that point, my brother who had opened the pawn shop, he's like, hey man, I know you want to make some money. Why don't you just come work with me like one day a week? And so I had this dream of like, oh, I'll work with my brother, make some money and I'll still be a rock star. Yeah. Like I'll still get the groupies. Oh yeah. Still go drink on the weekends and play music and sing and all that type of stuff. And as I started becoming poorer on the rock star side and I just started seeing, you know, more money from my brother, he's like, hey, work another day, work another day. And then he coaxed me into working seven days a week, 14 hours a day
0: oh, for like really, a yeah. thousand
1: bucks a month. And if you do the math, I think, minim- I, think I think minimum wage was like seven fifty an hour. He was paying me like two dollars and fifteen cents, right? Like he, it was like every HR rule he was breaking with me. Uh, <laughs> he like <laughs> you know he he um, he squeezed the lemon pretty hard there. But luckily, That's- at some point he was like, "Hey man, take half my company. I don't want to do any of the back end stuff." My brother's like a, like he's great. Yeah, he's a oh, great yeah. salesman. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? He thoroughly probably en- he probably sold you something while he was lying in one of your beds. I yeah,
0: thoroughly enjoyed the interaction <laughs> with him and the he let the wife you walk out. I got it. And then he gave me the whole l- sure. Listen, JD, I want you to make money. <laughs> <laughs> he's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, when the pro starts out that's how the pros start out by negotiating with me. JD, let me just, let me just lay this out for you. I, I I want you to make money, (laughs) but at the same time, it's got to make sense for me. Yeah. It's like, here we we go.
1: Like Morris, what do you want? Here we go. (laughs) So he just said like, listen, I'll take care of the front end. You take care of everything in the back. I don't want to touch the accounting, the marketing, the lawyers, the city. I don't want to do anything. So I went from, you know, being in the band to working seven days a week. 14 hours a day.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I went to doing exactly what I didn't want to do. Oh, boy. What I promised myself that I would never do. Right? Yep. But I was I got the taste of money. Yeah. It felt good. Yeah. Right? And I got to hang out with my brother, who's an epic human being. He is. And uh, we started growing The Pawn Shop, and my rock star days fizzled away. Yep. I went back to... Uh, I gave up the panties, went back to the prayers, or went back to temple to, to pray for, to the for, club for, for forgiveness for all the years of sin, and uh, um, and we started building this incredible company together, and we worked our our butts off, and you know he he really gave me an opportunity to to build something, to grow with him, and and it was tough, man. Like there was, you know, I remember my brother. You know, he had a baby. He was exhausted. He'd sleep on a couch at work, the front counter. We'd go back and forth. We wouldn't have any money. You know, we'd go to our dad, and be like, "Hey, can you just give us a quick loan so we can buy some merchandise?" We were in a tiny eight hundred square foot location with bars on the window. It, it was it was tough. It was yeah. it was a good time, but it was tough. Right. And we started going. The company started hiring some people, and started you know expand. It was funny because we. We had like this 800 square foot storefront that had apartments in the back. So little by little, we started taking over the apartments so that we can store the collateral, yeah, and have like an office and something, right? But looking back, it you know building that business with my brother was some of the best moments in my life because we we just hung out all day long. Uh, it's one of the things I miss about not working with him today. But we we learned together, we grew together, we made the stupidest mistakes together, we lost money together, we made money together. Um, did
0: you always did you always get along with him, or did you did you ever butt heads?
1: Or? I mean, we we were very yin and yang. Like my brother's like the hustler, the the sales guy. You know, somebody walked into the store. I was like, hey, Morris, you go take care of that guy." I was always in the back, you know, doing the accounting. You know, yeah. If a sale got tough, I'd be like, bro, get over here. And he'd like close it. Listen, listen, you know, I, I, I want you to yeah, get this I want chain, you to, yeah, I want, but I really it's got to make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and he was great at it, man. And he trained everybody in sales. You know, he calls me today sometimes. He's like, dude, you know, that video, you got to sell more. What are you doing? You know, so uh, it was just, it, it was a yin and yang. It was yeah. awesome. Sometimes we butted heads. We disagreed, but there was always love and admiration and respect and there was no other, like hardcore fighting. Uh, you know, my, my father, my uncles and my grandfather, they they were like fought to the death. Like they didn't speak like, to literally. each other. There was a time where like my, my dad tackled my grandfather and almost punched. Like it was it was bad. And so wow. we learned like what we didn't want. Yeah. Right? We learned what we didn't want. And what did your dad think of the Rockstar days? I think he kind of wanted to live through me a little bit, right? Like, he's like, oh, because he was a great singer. My father had an epic voice. Wow. Epic voice. But he also was like, he go like, how are you going to make money? I'm going to be a rock star, Dad. Like, you know, I can do this. And he he always supported it, but was, was a little bit iffy about it. Yeah. It was like a half-assed support. Like, oh, have fun at your show, but what are you going to do for work? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... So, you know, Morris and I started growing the pawn shop and uh, we, were, we were broke, man. Had no money for marketing. So started like this guerrilla marketing, going onto the streets and doing some cool stuff. The great thing about my father was he is my all-time teacher because he taught me what to do and what not to do. Right? right? And so we would see and be like, hey, let's not do that because that's what like our father, uncle, and grandfather did. We don't want to do it that yeah. way. And we always had an open relationship with my with my brother. We knew exactly who had what role, who was doing what. We went some. So we went through some really tough times together. Um, you know, I paid myself a lot less to pay him more because he had kids and I was single.
0: Which, by the way, Igal, I'll, I'll break in real quick. Anybody who's been in business for any period of time at all, like at all, you're going to go through stuff. Oh yeah, you're going to be down you're going to lose money, you're going to have no money, right? Yeah. It's inevitable.
1: I think the the biggest blessing I got about working with my brother is that we shared a lot with each other. Yeah. So I had somebody to be transparent and vulnerable with. And if you don't have that, you're on this island all by yourself, SOS signaling with nobody to listen, and that's the toughest mm. Journey for an entrepreneur, business owner.
0: hundred percent, bro. hundred percent.
1: Because you don't walk up to people like, man, I had a really, really crappy day. I sold nothing.
0: Yeah. No, it's it's tough. Yeah. You got it. My mom has been since being an entrepreneur for 18 years. Uh I don't bring this stuff to the wife or I don't bring it into the home. The stress that I go, that I'm under. Like if we have a crappy day, crappy week, crappy month, whatever it is. We're down and out we're about to go under <laughs> yeah you know that yeah I just i you just said it you have to be able to talk to somebody about it
1: yeah so like somebody and i had the gift. i had the gift of having my brother who is an incredible communicator and listens incredibly well and we were like each other's therapists we had you know office chairs side by side we worked at the counter. You know, I call it, we were humping the counter, you know, for hours upon hours, (laughs) just sitting at the counter waiting for people to walk in. So we would talk and we would give each other advice and we'd, you know, smack each other on the head be like, you're an idiot. And it was, it was a blessing. It was incredible. And I got to be with my brother every single day. I think we did 16 years. Wow. No kidding. Yeah.
0: That long.
1: Yeah. So we, we had the business 16 years To And together. so what
0: age, when you were in there, you got in there about 20, Like 21?
1: 22 years old, 21, 22. He opened it when I was like 21. I jumped in at 22.
0: How much older is he than you? Six years. Six years. Yeah. And so then, if I'm doing the math correctly, that's about when you met your now wife.
1: Okay, so great no, story. No, 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 no. No, no, no. further. So further, yeah. It yeah, was, yeah, it was yeah, further yeah, along. Yeah. So I came into the pawn shop. Uh, I was making... You know, two thousand bucks a month, which was a lot of money back then for all my friends. So I was partying, still trying to get the panties, and uh I, I started partying really hard. Then we started getting employees in. We started getting a team, and so I didn't have to work Sundays anymore. I didn't have to work weekends. I mean, we were working seven days a week, yeah, forty hours a day. Yep. We were working a lot. So I took a, a Sunday off, a Saturday off here and there, and would go party and would go have fun. Then I met my wife and was working and I was still busy. I was still working super hard after I got married and about seven months into my marriage, my wife, I come home.
0: The marriage or meeting
1: her? No. Seven months after my marriage. After marriage. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm fast forwarding because.
0: Why are we fast forwarding? I'll, ta- I'll
1: tell you why. Okay. Because my relationship with my wife during the six years was superficially great. Got it. Because I didn't communicate anything. Nothing. Zero. There was a moment where I told my wife, I don't want to get married. We broke up. Then I got back together with her. And I got engaged to her. I was like, oh, she can put up with my stuff. Let's go. Like, I, I loved her. And I was like, you know. And it was hard to let go of, like, all the, all the partying and all of, like, the attention wanting. It was very, very tough for me to have... Like one woman, it's very tough. Yeah, man. very. Tough. I feel you. And um, like I say it from the bottom, like it was, it was a, it was a struggle, to the point where like I broke up with her a couple of times. Like I can't do this. Wow. Because you know I mean? you're in your twenties at this point. Yeah. Like I, I was like I need more attention. Yeah. <laughs> and it was ridiculous because yeah. I didn't, I didn't have the internal fortitude or the conviction to be able to just love. And respect myself. That's because what. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah. And so I was just consistently looking for attention elsewhere. And if my wife or my girlfriend at the time it was my wife, didn't give it to me, I, I lost my shit. I mean, I went skydiving one day because I was so anxious. Like it was, it was like I just needed to do something to feel alive. So I went skydiving. I called him like, hey, I'm skydiving. I called my brother. I'm like, hey man, if I die, like you just get everything. Why don't we have nothing in writing? If you want to record this, like. He's like, you're just skydiving, but shut up. Like, you're gonna have a blast. (laughs) (laughs) Like like I I was just it was it was it got really, really bad because what happened was I wanted all this attention. I had I had like all this all this, this lock up, this damage. And then I had one woman and I wasn't used to that shit. Wow. And so it drove me fucking nuts. No kidding. And so in came drinking, in came porn addiction, in came like like it was just, it got, it got rough. It got really, really bad. Right. And the reason why I fast forward, because I did absolutely nothing about it. Nothing. Nothing, zero. I went to my marriage that way. I mean, I got married and the week after I sat there, I'll never forget this. We moved into like a little house in Eastlake and she was at work or something. And I just sat there like crying. I'm like, what the fuck did I do? Wow. Like, why did I do this? Like, now i got to take care of somebody. I have to think about somebody else's feelings. I was like, man, I made the biggest mistake of my life. I was this close to just being like, hey, we should, like, before there's kids or anything, like, we should, we should just finish this thing. Wow. You know? And, did, she, did she know you felt like this way? Well, I, I she saw it because... At month seven, I came home from work. I was still working 14 hours a day, six days a week, not paying attention to her. Just, I've got to make the money. I essentially turned into my dad. Or these guys you were talking about. Or these guys, all the guys in my life. Yeah. And and that promise I made myself in the vault, I did exactly that. So seven months into the marriage, Thursday night, walk in, uh, there's dinner on the table. And I'm like, hey, babe, are we going to have dinner? She's like, you go ahead and eat without me. I'll be right there. So I start like, you know, shoveling food in my mouth and she comes in and she like, I can just tell her she was crying. And I'm like, babe, what's going on? She's like, don't worry about it. You eat your dinner. And I took another bite and I had been only married seven months. I'm like, I, you know, I've only been married seven months. This is not a good sign. I shouldn't keep shoveling food in my mouth. Like I, and so I put my fork down I'm like, babe, like what's going on? She's like, I didn't want to say this right now, but I'm sick and tired of this. She's like, I didn't get married to be alone. I was like, What do you? What do you mean? I didn't get married to be alone? Like, nice house, nice car. We go on vacations, you know, once in a while. I'm like, What what are you talking about? Like, how can you do this? What are you saying? I'm not like. She's like, you. You come home. You fall asleep on the couch. We barely have sex. You don't share anything with me. You're stressed out. I was like 30 or 40 pounds overweight. She's like, I'm not happy. I didn't get married for this. She's like, go figure yourself out. Go do what, if not, like, we're done. Like, I'm, dude, seven months into my marriage, my wife is already like, if you don't go figure yourself out, we're finished. You know? Yeah. I had seen like all of these relationships in my life. They were miserable, but they stayed together. They stayed together
0: (laughs) without working on themselves. Without
1: working on themselves. Like, what do you mean I got to work on myself? That's not what I saw. Nobody worked on themselves. They just, Dealt with it they just settled they just settled and she's like i'm absolutely not going to settle i did not get married to be alone so i went to the bathroom looked at myself in the mirror washed my face a little bit um and at that moment jd just said like dude you're such a fucking liar you're lying to yourself He said, like, look at I, I, like i i started talking to myself i'm like look at yourself you're 40 pounds overweight you haven't had sex with your wife in like two months you're pretending to be okay at work, right? And Now you're going to get angry because she's calling you out. Like, shut up! Like, do something. So I came out. I said, "You know what? You're right, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something about this." And it's really funny because, wow. at the age of like 22, now more memories are coming up. I was part of like, I was part of a a Jewish youth organization, a, Jew, a Jewish youth leadership organization. And at 21, I was a youth leadership development director. I was in charge of instilling leadership into these 16 year olds who were going to be the youth. counselors, right? Of this movement. And I had locked all that stuff up. I brought nothing of that with me into work or into my marriage. I just shoved it in a corner somewhere, right? So when she said that to me, I was like, okay, it's time to get to work. I said, listen, I promise you I'm going to make a shift. I just need some time. Doubling down on therapy. Had you been going to therapy at this point? I had been going, I had been, you know what's funny? I had been bullshitting my therapist. I'm so good at getting people to like me that I was able to get the therapist to like me and they would just agree with me. So if you're with a therapist yeah. who always agree with, agrees with you, get out. Yeah. Get out quick. Because human, I don't care therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, human nature wants us to like each other. That's right. And we will do everything for the person in front of us to like each other. Right, and to avoid confrontation. To avoid confrontation and avoid calling them out. That's why your group of friends will sometimes not even call you out. Right. And they'll just be like, oh yeah, women suck, man. I understand why your marriage yeah, yeah, yeah. is horrible. Oh, it's okay, man. Just work more hours, like all that type of stuff. Because they won't call you out. So my therapist started just, being cool with me. So I was able to BS it. It was easy. So I came into therapy. I got attention. It was great. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Right. So switched therapists. Um started doubling down my leadership development. Uh got a trainer, lost the weight. Um and just started to How learn. How was the
0: new therapist? Did you open up then? Did you actually? Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. I started opening up. I said, listen, the moment that you, I, I, the first session walked in, I said, the moment I feel like you just keep agreeing with me is the moment I'm walking out of here, straight up. And she was like, I've never had anybody say that to me. I'm like, I, I, you just can't agree. Agree with me sometimes, yeah. but you've got to call me out on my BS. If you don't, what's the point of me sitting here paying you every time? Just to get a pat on the back? That's stupid. Yeah. Like That's not work. So I started digging deep and I went to Landmark Forums and Tony Robbins and leadership development and NLP courses. And I just started like really, really diving deep into myself. And I started creating like this leadership framework because my belief is, and I started realizing at that moment that as leaders, you're going to get locked up many times in your life. Yep. When you got married, you got locked up in a way, even though it might've been the most joyous occasion when you had a kid, man, lack of sleep, that will lock you up hardcore, right? My father being diagnosed with Parkinson's and dementia, my wife saying this, Uh, my mom having a stroke, Uh, my wife, my father passing away. My wife, baby number two, went through something called hyperemesis gravidarium. She was in bed for seven and a half months. I didn't speak to my wife. I walked in twice a day do you want a quesadilla or a tamale for breakfast? Cause that's all she can pass. Cause she was puking 10 times a day. We were going to the hospital. IV. It's a horrible situation. If you are going through uh, hyperemesis gravidarium, or if you're going through IVF, cause we had IVF babies, please do not keep it in. Please share. Please do not just hold all this stuff in because it will make your life miserable. And it happened. Wow. Couldn't have kids. I never even heard of that. Yeah. So we couldn't have kids. Went to a doctor, right? Doctor said, you can't have kids naturally go through IVF. So every day for two months, I'm like shooting up my wife with these hormones because I, as a man who's brought into this world to procreate, couldn't even do that. Got locked up. Right. I didn't feel like a man. I don't know if I wasted it all before or like what happened, but I just, I didn't feel like a man. Then we have a child and we try it again. And then my wife is seven and a half months, no sex. No, we didn't even communicate. Like she was, she turned to this when the baby
0: was when, when she
1: was pregnant, when she was pregnant, she turned to me one night when she was pregnant. She said, tell Tali I love her, which is our oldest daughter because I'm going to die right now. Now what causes this? So, I'm not sure exactly. It's called hyperemesis gravidarium. It's a swing in hormones above and beyond normal pregnancy, which causes them, my wife, to she was puking 10 times a day. She couldn't eat. She couldn't hear noise. She couldn't see light. And she couldn't smell. So every day she was underneath her blanket for hours upon hours a day. I couldn't cook at home. I couldn't talk to her. I couldn't touch her. Nothing. Man. And so it was a very, very tough situation. And I was taking care of my, seven. My at the time she was three years old. I was with her all the time. I mean, my bond with my eldest is ridiculous because of that, because of the time. But it was very, very tough. And then again, my, you know, the porn addiction came back because I didn't touch my wife for seven months.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So throughout my life these events cause me to lock up and harder and more locks. And I just didn't know how to release myself. I just couldn't do it. Once when my wife confronted me, that was one time I was like, okay, I got to do this. Another time was when I had my first daughter. When I had my first daughter, Tully, I looked at her, I was like, enough is enough. Like, it's no, like I'm now responsible for a, for a child. Yeah. And the way I am is going to dictate the way she is, the man she finds, and the woman she grows up to be. And so I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't play around. And so, you know, there's, it's funny because things happen in your life yeah. for a reason. Sometimes you don't totally. see them, but I, I, they were like loud and clear to me, loud and clear.
0: And so, okay, so how did you get through this? The the What the birth of the baby came was it was she feeling that way right up to the birth up to the birth Yeah
1: Up to the birth like she gave birth and she was like, oh did she ever get out of bed? Did she ever I mean She would get out of bed to go to the hospital To go get an IV because she was puking her brains out dehydrated. She was dehydrated
0: And so what what was your three-year-old Did the three-year-old know anything was going on at that point?
1: Uh, She's just like why is mommy always sick? I had to buy her a book called Mommy's Always Sick. It's a book written for kids with hyperemesis. I mean, we went to the park together every day. I mean, I just, I was barely working. I was barely working because I was taking care of my daughter. And it was tough, it was very, very tough. And it was extremely tough because at that moment, so going back to the pawn shop where like the stories come yeah, all yeah, around, yeah. Uh, I, was, I just wasn't happy working there anymore at the pawn shop. And there was a moment I remember I told my brother, I said, Hey, do you mind if I do leadership development to our managers so that we can like give the business a boost and see what happens? So I, you know, took out the leadership box, I dusted it off, opened it up.
0: And this so, is the stuff that you used to do for the youth.
1: Yeah. Right? Exactly. Okay. And I started and you know, I dusted it off and I said, Hey, I'm gonna put this leadership program together at work to see what happens. And Morris is like, listen, man, do whatever you want. Just don't mess with my sales. Don't mess with profit. You know, like, just fine. And I started creating this leadership development program for the managers and started creating culture and business started to grow. Mm. And that's what I knew. I was like, this is what I want to do. I loved every moment of developing these leaders. And so I went back to my brother. At some point, I said, bro, I love you. It's time that we separate. And he, he said, I've been waiting for you to tell me this for two years, right? And um, and I knew at that moment that this is what I want to do. I want to teach people to lead. So separated with my brother, my wife goes through this hyperemesis gravidarium. I get locked up. and uh, And that's when I realized that these tools that I shoved away in the closet were meant for me at this point in my life right so i took those tools out and i started to organize them because there's a big difference between internal and external leadership external leadership teaches you how to have meetings how to hire fire how to give feedback how to communicate internal leadership deals with having clarity with yourself how to be courageous had to have commitment, had to be consistent. And I had forgotten all that stuff because of all of these traumatic events that happened in my life. I just shoved it all away. And when my wife was going through this, and essentially I was a, uh, for lack of better terms, I was a single father for seven months. Right. I had to step up my game in a way that I had never been challenged before. Because now, I didn't have my brother's support at work where I could just leave. I was working in my own business. I was taking care of a three-year-old. I was taking care of my wife who had high gravidarium. Yes, we had family, but I was in charge. I was to lead the charge. And before that, it was kind of like wishy-washy leadership wishy-washy, what was going on. Yep. And that was the moment it was like, okay, enough is enough, Egal. Let's lead. Let's go. Because I was with my daughter every day. I couldn't revert back to porn. I couldn't revert back to drinking. I couldn't revert, revert back to the panties, yeah. which is what I think happens when we get in these uh, moments of stress, overwhelm and turmoil. You want to revert back to being numb. Right. And what helped you before. And there was absolutely no way I can do that. Looking to the you eyes. You had no option. I had no option. There was just no option. I couldn't let this, my daughter down. There's no way. And um, it was a very, very tough moment in my life. Very tough moment. Uh, I, it was a very tough moment for me. For my wife, it was like a whole different level. Yeah. Because she was going through this. But there was moments I would just like sit there sobbing. Because I'm like, what's, what's going to happen? Is she going to die? Like, we had no idea what was going on. Is she going to die? Wow, my gosh, man. Right? Am I going to be a single father? Am I going to be a widow? All these thoughts were going through my... It was insane. Because every day she'd wake up and say, I'm going to die. Because that's how she felt.
0: Wow. And so how did you implement the... Like, what was the next step of the leadership and, like, for your for your own self?
1: Yeah, so... I. You know, when I, when I put this whole puzzle together, I realize that the first thing is I've got to like, I have to wake up to the truth. So I have to get clarity on what I, what, where I am today and what I actually wanted. Right. And so many times we don't have clarity on what we want. Mm. We just wake up. You might just come up in the store and it's like another day and yep. another day. Go through the grind. You know, just go through the grind, go through the grind. And we don't ask ourselves to what do you want? And so I just sat there right, like I just wrote it out. Like the biggest thing that I did was get it out of my mind and write it out. So I said, what do I want in my relationship? At that moment was like, I want my wife to survive this thing. And just like my wife, when she said I didn't get married to be alone, I also said, I want to have a, I want to have an epic wife. I want to have great sex, passion, commitment, respect. I want all that stuff. And so I just wrote down like what, what is it that I want? And what do I want? Who do I need to become so that my daughter looks up? to me during this time. And so what commitments do I need to make? And what commitments do I have to hold? And then where in my life do I have to be courageous? I had to have some courageous conversations that were very tough. I had to get people out of my life and bring people into my life. And a lot of times we don't, we're afraid to do that, right? To have clarity, courage, and commitment. That's my wake up steps. Like wake up to the truth. Who's not serving you in your life? Mm. How are you not serving yourself? And I had to go through that so deeply, to be able to change and unlock all those years of padlocks, chains, a cement, and and get out of that, to be able to be with my daughter, and know that my marriage is going to last through this.
0: You had to do this is so this you had to do this yourself. You yes. had to live through this.
1: Yeah, I, I built this for me. Yeah, like this whole. I call it, it's the Unlock the Leader framework. It I was built for me, and I'll go through this once a quarter, every day. I'll just be like, okay, what do I need right now? Right, because there's like ten steps to this, ten keys to be able to unlock it. And it happened when my wife said, hey, I didn't get married to be alone. I have to have clarity. Like, I hey, mean I'm 40 pounds overweight. My marriage sucks.
0: Clarity you right? start there.
1: Yeah, and it's it's be very honest with yourself. It's clarity
0: like self awareness like like everything about who you are, like to look in the mirror and being
1: honest. Yeah, it's being honest. So there's four areas of life that I work on, right? There's the condition of my body. Like you got to be healthy. You're you're a healthy guy. You work out the condition of my body. There's my conviction, which is my inner strength. It could be your faith, whatever gives you inner strength, right? My currency, which is my money. And then my connections, which which are my relationships. And these four areas of my life when I got clarity on those, when I was honest with myself, if I went down the list, my condition, I was 40 pounds overweight. weight. I was fat. I was lethargic. I had no energy. Had to change that. My conviction, I was barely going to synagogue. There was no connection to God. It was just the motions of the tradition, yep. right? Yep. Currency, my business, eh, mediocre to be kind to myself, right, right? And then my relationship with my wife sucked. She told me it sucked. She was vocal about how it sucked. And so I had to be honest with myself with what was not working. We all should be grateful for what we have, right? Wake up, I, I say the morning prayer of gratitude, but then we also have to be honest with what's not working. And when we're honest with ourselves, that's the only way we can have clarity to do the next step, which is what do we want? And then you write down what do you want? And then it's like, what courageous step do I take to get there? That's it. That's step number one to be able to lead in what I had to do to get through Mm -hmm. all of this stuff in my life. What's not working? What do I want? What's the one step that's going to take me to get there? And have the courage and the commitment to actually stick with it. Go through with it. Yeah. And stay consistent with it. Yeah. Because if you're not consistent, brother, what happens is this. your mind, if you're like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym today and you don't go, your mind taxes it up like as a failure Yeah, in your su- yeah. subconscious. In your subconscious. Right. So right. it's like loss, 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 loss. She's so like, man, I'm going to open up f- two more real deal sleep locations. Here we go. Your mind will start messing with you so bad, self sabotage. They'll be like, hold up a second, brother. Let's look at all these times that you promised me you were going to take action and you didn't. So let's not. Let's watch some Netflix. Yeah. Let's throw some mind monkey games inside and tell us how we can't do this. We don't have the money. We don't have the know-how. It's not going to happen. I'm going to fail. I'm going to lose everything. And let's just play the mediocre game. And so committing to what you say you're going to do and what I said I was going to do was so important to me that it was like going to war for me. And I've never gone to the war and I respect, you know, military, thank you for your service. But it's just to the point where like I I had to try so to get rid of people in my life who were bringing me down and bring others into my life who are helping me out. Mentors, coaches, Talk about how big
0: that is, how important that is, your surroundings, oh, it's, who's in your
1: life. Yeah, so I have a saying that is leading with baggage is misleading. <laughs> and so if you go through life walking through with this baggage of dirty clothes and the baggage isn't just what's happened to you, it's those people who are negative and who you still surround yourself with. Right? You can't walk into a room with that baggage and lead. You can't. It's misleading. No you're driving them in a different direction. You're lying to the people who you're leading. And so you've got to deal with it. You've got to open up that suitcase, look at that dirty underwear, go wash it, give it away. Like You've got to work on that to be able to walk in a totally different person and lead. And so I had to do that. Look at my life and say, who are these friends who are bringing me down? And I was like, wait a second, I'm not surrounding myself with people who are, have the conviction, the spirituality that I want. I'm, I don't have have the surroundings of people saying, I love my marriage. It's hard work, brother, but I love my marriage. I'm not surrounding myself with people who say like, dude, you're getting a little bit of a belly, brother. What's up with that? You know? And then with my, with whatever, you know, with my, with my business saying like, dude, how about we stop um, giving excuses and you go hunt? what you need, and make more money. And so I started doing that, joining masterminds, getting coaching, consulting, surrounding myself with people. I mean, one of the first people uh, was Dr. Matt. Really? Yeah. And I never paid him anything except for chiropractic, but he just, as you guys say at Awaken, spoke into me so incredibly well Yeah, that it was like, man, I kind of surround myself with people like this. Yeah, Like so much positivity and inspiration and like, I, I want more of that it's amazing yeah because you don't go to awaken right I don't know I'm Jewish right I go to my synagogue yes right the club in the club <laughs> <laughs> and so much so, so that happened just from when you were going to as a chiropractor yeah like like Dr Matt you know I don't know if he did what he did physically but one of the things he did was I'd go you know I did the whole like everyday yep. thing for who knows and just the smile the positivity ego you got this i'll never forget when i would walk in he'd be like what's up champion dude that's that's so incredible when you call somebody champion you elevate who they are automatically automatically there's a famous story about a rabbi who would call people my spiritual brother and there's a story that he was out and about on the street and a poor guy a beggar, you know, a homeless guy walked up to him and say, hey, hey, sir, can you, can you give me some, something to eat? And he's like, honest to God, there wasn't Venmo back in the day. Like He's just like, you know, he's like, hey, my spiritual brother, honest to God, I have no money on me. He said, but hold up a second and let me see what I can do. And the guy, the, the homeless guy said, don't even worry about it. You gave me more than money could ever give me. You called me a spiritual brother. Nobody's called me spiritual in my life. And brother, I haven't heard that word in years. So just the way that we talk to each other and ourselves makes a big deal in how we lead and who we become. Let me ask you this, Jay. If you were were to think about somebody who is a leader in your life, who motivated and inspired you, Mm -hmm. who led on the path, do you have that person in your mind? Oh, yeah. Okay. Without telling me who they are, tell me what characteristics they had.
0: Um they have have number one passion. Okay. Drive, ambition, core values of blessing others, generosity, um, and just all out uh inspiring, like motivating, like and uh and, and just light me up. Like I'm fired up every single second that I'm around this person.
1: Yeah. So I give speeches. Fired up. I give keynote speeches around the nation. And I ask this question, I have a whiteboard, and I write down what are the characteristics, like you know, shout them out of somebody who's motivated, inspired, and led you yeah. to where you are today. And they're very similar. Yeah. And so then I ask the question, well, why is it that we're not like that? Why is it that we don't uphold those characteristics consistently? Because that's what we want to be for others if you want to lead. And so I started seeing that in my life. I wasn't motivating, inspiring. I wasn't holding on to my core values. I wasn't fired up. I wasn't excited. I wasn't, you know, all these things that you said about this person. Yeah. And I was like, that needs to change. ASAP. But I did realize that some people like this person, like you talked about Dr. Matt, you know, they they now see the lock in front of them. They take out the keychain and they unlock whatever they need to so quickly you never realize it. They become ninjas at unlocking the leader. And so for me in my life, when everything comes up, that's what I'm working towards. Things are going to happen to me. There's going to be other traumas. Other things are going to mess me up. You know, my daughters are young. They're going to, everyone's like, oh, at some point they're going to hate you. You know, I'm going to have to deal with like, I hear that all the time. Right i hear that. that's my goal is to not have that happen. I, like, I, I want to be one of the guys, like, yeah. I have an incredible we relationship. Broke, we broke this, the cycle. Yeah, I broke the cycle. F you in saying that my daughters are going to hate yeah. me. You yeah. know, I don't want that. But I've got to become a, a different person inside for that to happen. And so, going back to the pawn shop and leaving the pawn shop, it was all about how do I lead my life so that I don't become like the guys around me? Mm-hmm. I take the good and the bad. I transform it and make no mistakes. I've made some, I've made some mistakes in my life. I'm going to fall on my face. It's going to happen. You know, I'll be transparent. I'll talk about my addictions, my yep. skeletons in my closet, all that type of stuff. But that's the goal is how do I lead my family, my community, the people around me so that they can be okay to be able to be transparent and open as well.
0: And we're going to keep flowing on this leadership thing, but I want, I want to, break in real quick and make sure that we, you know, this and the listeners and watchers, you know, why, like how you got here into this room because of Dr. Matt. Yeah. Did you know this? No. Yeah. Because I started a business. People told me about him for years and him about me for years back and forth. You need to know me. You need to do meet JD. You need to meet Matt. You need to meet for two to three years. We heard about each other that people that knew us mutually said, you guys need to do something together. Wow. So then I started, uh, we finally, somebody did the final nudge and I went in there and we started a business collaboration because he's a mile down the road. We had no idea. We have the same color scheme, black and red, same type of showroom, music playing everywhere. The energy exploded and we started sending our clients to each other. Nice. Right? And guess who one of those clients was? Morris. Morris. (laughs) Your brother. Yeah. That's how we met. And how you're here is cause indirectly through Dr. Matt. Oh, incredible. So I can't believe you mentioned his name. Yeah. I can't wait to tell him. I was I was literally with him yesterday. <laughs>
1: really?
0: And he was pumping me up. Yeah. <laughs> telling me I was a legend. <laughs> it's it's like Telling him a world changer. Yeah. He said, you're a world changer, JD. Yeah. When you're up in heaven, there's gonna be an, uh, the, stand, the, the, the whole, the, what do they call it, the bleachers. I'm gonna be lining up and you're gonna see all the thousands of people that you affected and impacted in the positive. This is what he said to me yesterday. Yeah.
1: Let, let me tell you something about Dr. Matt real quick. Go ahead. He's a pastor of a church. Yeah. I'm Jewish. I'm very steadfast in my faith, right? I've had a lot of Christian friends try to do that. Come, come to church and convert me. I'm like, brother, I love you, I appreciate you, I respect you, but I'm a Jew. Dr. Matt, when he found out I was doing the tribesman idea years ago, he said, uh, Egal, I'm not trying to convert you. I want you to come to this eMERGE mm-hmm. event that we do, right? And I was like, Dr. Matt, you know, I'm not going to get converted. He's like, just shut your mouth, show up, leave when you want, do whatever. And I showed up for four hours at an eMERGE event, and it was mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. So much so that my vision is to create what they've created yeah. in the Jewish men's world. So somehow, inadvertently, Dr. Matt has a connection to a movement that I'm building for Jewish men wow. to become better leaders in their homes, in their communities, and for their families. And so like when we talk about leadership, when you talk about like somebody like Dr. Matt, and there's other people in your life probably, and, and in my life, You make such a big difference when you lead. You make such a big difference when you connect with somebody and believe in them. And I'll tell you a quick story that it can change the world. Yes. I was a counselor at this youth organization. I was 16 years old. I was a little rug rat. I didn't know my head from my ass at the time. Right. And there was this kid who came to a camp from Mexico City. And this camp is world famous. Jewish camp because they go to SeaWorld and Disneyland and Legoland and like all the major attractions, right? Magic Mountain. Six-year-old comes in. uh, He was seven years old at the time. And he had this Gap hat on. This blue Gap hat, white letters. And we went to Disneyland and we go on the ride and the Gap hat flies off. Starts having a meltdown. He "Gall my hat, please, my hat, please give me my hat. I beg you, please get my hat. I'm like, Dude, like it's it's in the middle of like the Matterhorn. Like, yeah. what do you want me to do? Meltdown. Like on the floor, crying, screaming. So 16-year-old me has to wake, walk up to the eight-year-old ride conductor, who's the guy that says, please keep your hands inside the ride. Yeah. You know, he presses the button. That's his job. I said, I'm really sorry, I gotta get this hat. He has to stop the whole Matterhorn, get the engineers out to do whatever they need to do to get this gap hat. We go to Magic Mountain. What happens in Magic Mountain? Shut up. Hat flies off. I'm like, I can't believe this. I got to walk up to the 17-year-old ride conductor. He's got to call the ride engineer. Same thing happened. Same thing happened. I want to like duct tape the hat to his head, right? Fast forward 20 years. I'm in Mexico City. I'm at a wedding with my wife. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. And if you've never been to a wedding in Mexico... It's like the party's just started. Warming up. Warming up. The mariachis are playing. (laughs) Tequila's flowing like water, right? They're serving breakfast, chilaquiles and eggs. It's just, it's going off. And at the side of my eye, I see David, like this kid that I'm mentioning. And my wife was a counselor in this camp also. I'm like, babe, is that like David? She goes, I think so. I'm like, I'm going to go walk up to him and say what's up. When's the last time you'd seen him? 20 something years Come before. On. Right? Yeah. Same face. Same face. So four o'clock in the morning, the guy's dancing, me of the dance floor. I walk up to him and I and I grab him. I say, hey man, I'm really sorry. I don't know if you remember me. And he screams my name. He like, "Gall!" Starts crying and gives me this incredible hug. I don't know if it's because it's four o'clock in the morning. I don't know if it's the tequila, but I start crying also. Right? I'm just, okay. He like, you know, pulls us apart he goes you have no idea what you did for my life and I was never able to tell you I was like do what he goes remember that gap hat I was like bro <laughs> I hated that gap hat like I it was insane what you made me do for that gap hat he's like what you had no idea about that gap hat is that four months before my I went to camp my father passed away mm. and he gave me that gap hat and so it was the one thing I had of my father's that I wore with me every single day at camp. He goes, because you fought for me and you fought for that gap hat, you showed me how to care about people. And today I'm a doctor, I'm a surgeon. I share people's lives. And the big part of it is because of you. Wow. Dude, I started crying, Wow, hugging. So you you have no idea the effect you have on someone's life by just saying a good word, by just showing kindness and connecting with them. And you cannot show kindness, you cannot connect with connect with them if internally you're not okay.
0: So that's a fact.
1: It's a fact. At 16 years old, I didn't have all the stuff I had at yeah. 25. Yeah. Right? But I was taught kindness and connection and those types of things. So, you know, we talk about Dr. Matt, we talk about David There's people in your life that need you to lead. Yes. And in order for you to lead, you've got to unlock all that crap.
0: Because leaders are, number one, few and far between, right, in this world. Mm -hmm. But this world does not move forward without leaders.
1: I think that the word word leadership gets thrown around. Yes. Shift leader.
0: Dig deep into this.
1: Managing leader. And... You cannot lead unless unless you lead yourself first.
0: Okay, it's so just, go, go there, because I really I be preached, you can't lead unless you know how to follow, number one. I talk about that a lot. Mm-hmm. But tell me about leading
1: yourself. Yeah, so we spoke about like the wake-up phase, right? Like yeah. clarity, courage, and commitment. Then you got to step up and do the work, right? It's really easy to write leader on your name tag. It's really, it's, you know, getting married is an easy step. It is. Yeah. It's hard to do, but like the marriage itself, it, it, it's an, it's an easy thing. Leading is extremely tough because it's every day, every moment. Yeah, I posted yesterday on Facebook. I said, uh, "Sex climactic when done right. Leadership same as above, just different position." <laughs> right. Yeah. Because you've got to be able to lead in every circumstance. Everything. Like what you're doing with me, what you're doing with these guys, yeah. what you're doing with your family. And it's not easy. It's easy to be called a leader. It's not easy to lead. And in our world today, people say like, oh, are the, the leaders of our city, right? Or the leaders of our nation or the leaders of blah, 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 whatever that is. Right. We throw that name around very easily without actually getting that award or getting that title when you deserve it. And it's taken away from you every single day. Every day when you go to sleep, leader is stripped of you. And when you wake up, you need to lead again. And so leading yourself starts with that, is how we woke up today. I told you I woke up today, crazy, wiped a couple of butts. I made breakfast, made lunch for my daughters, my wife and I having a quick, you know, great. It's in that moment, how do I lead? What do I do? When I'm driving to school with my daughters, do I make it an epic right or do I fight and do we have a horrible time do I lead right yeah. in this conversation do I come in and give it my all and like eh, fine I'm not going to share my skeletons and all the crap that happened to me so it's for me it's so important because especially for me I've got three daughters and a beautiful wife and my leadership isn't for you it's not for the the, the cameras it's not for the people listening first and foremost it's for them because I am a catalyst to how and who they become. I don't care if you agree with me or disagree with me. It's proven yep. that either they they go as far away as possible or as close as possible. Because I learned something years ago. Somebody said, the love of a parent to a child isn't the greatest love in the world. It's the love of a child to a parent. Mm. Because sometimes we, we love our parents so much that we emulate them and even do the most horrible things that they do. And we just continue it. And so if they look up to me like that, you bit your ass, I'm gonna lead. Yes.
0: And now, here's the million dollar question. Sure. Are leaders born or made? Ah. (laughs) Neither. Okay, great. Let's dig into this. Hey, hey, is that tissue box? Are we good there? Can can, can you see that in the camera there? Is it it blocking the the money shot? Is it blocking my my bicep? My face ain't the money shot.
1: The, the biceps, the money <laughs> Seriously. Um, I'm like half that, right? They're not even. Um, so are leaders born or made? That's the question. I say, that. I say neither. Neither. They're, okay. They're, they're unlocked. They're unlocked? Yeah. There are some people born with more charisma. Okay. Yes. Who can speak better, who show up in a room better, who can um, persuade better. Doesn't mean that they're leading.
0: Quick question. Yeah. I was the shyest kid on the planet. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't talk. My friends. Parents, Hard to
1: believe. Right. right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> real, real
1: talk. Ladies and gentlemen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Seriously though, I was shy and the, my parents, my friends' parents would make fun of me. Hey JD. And that well, was John back then. John was my, my John is my actual. <laughs> John is pretty quiet. Like, cause I wasn't saying anything. They make yeah. it a joke. But like, hey, hey, keep it down back there. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, like, explain that. How was I so shy? And then all of a sudden, turn turned into this. It was like an eighth grade where I gained confidence.
1: How did you gain confidence? Uh, what happened? I don't want to, even want to talk about
0: this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what happened to real deal talk? <laughs>
0: so eighth grade uh, is the last year of middle school before you go to high school, right? Yeah. And you remember how they used to have awards in, in, in yearbooks? You know, That now that you can't do it because you don't want to make anybody feel bad, right? Yeah. Do you even know about the Spencer Awards? <laughs> like, like uh, most likely to succeed. Yeah. These were actual awards. You yeah. remember this? Yeah, hundred percent. Most likely to succeed. Most likely to do this. The smartest. Cutest. Um, well, there was uh one. Are you ready for this, bro? This is hilarious. There was an award called Most Attractive. Okay. I won. Nice. I was so shocked because nobody's talked about it. And the, we didn't know until we opened the yearbook. No one talked about it, nobody knew anything. And I was literally, I won. And I, I was shocked. My mom was like, what? I'm like, I'm most attractive. That was literally, my mom said, from that point forward, all hell broke loose. You were a pain in the ass. <laughs> you are a cocky little son of a bitch. It was that moment yeah. that everything switched for me because all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow. These girls think I'm a track because they had to vote for it. All the kids voted yeah. for it. Yeah. That was it. So. Wait, and when, I became a son of a, I became a pain <laughs> and a wise ass from that point forward. The, the, the guy, the football guys above us hated me because I talked smack all the time. I just became this confident little wise ass.
1: Yeah. So in that moment, <laughs> in that moment, confidence was unlocked. Something happened. Is that happened. what it was? Yeah. You got to like, nobody built the confidence in you. It wasn't like my, my mom in. was
0: extremely positive, extremely yeah. this, extremely that. I just guess it just hadn't unlocked, yeah. So,
1: yeah. So basically, you asked me, are they born or are they made? Right? I walked right into it. You, you walked right in. So uh, you weren't wow. you weren't born like you you didn't have that until you were in eighth grade, right? It was It was internally somewhere, yeah. right? And all of these like leadership qualities, I believe, are internally inside us. We just have to unlock it.
0: The courage. You commitment. think it's in all of us? You think I, every single person walking the planet has leadership? Inside of them,
1: I have. I think that they have leadership abilities. I think that others unlock it more. It's kind of like a spigot, right? Like when you turn the faucet, you can turn on a little bit, or like you did. You're like you just like got a (laughs) hammer and just like broke the damn thing, like whack, and so it just like, like started gushing out. That was it, right? And so that's my belief because I've worked with managers and owners and different people who are shy as hell and don't lead, and all of a sudden we unlock it, and it's like, wait a second. And I always say it's it's been inside all the time. And all these things happen to you in your life that lock it up, right? Yeah. So, so maybe you're born with it uh, or it's made, but unlocking does both. It's like you're born with it and you're made at the same time, right? So it, that confidence unlocked in you right away. Yeah. And so then you probably went through your life and something happened and the confidence kind of uh, maybe like dwindled a little bit. And then you're like, oh, hell no. I'm the most attractive, Right. You went back to that moment, opened the yearbook again in your mind, like boom, (laughs) and you unlocked it again. Let's rock and roll. Yeah. And so that's my belief is that leaders are on board or made, they're locked. And when you unlock somebody, you create what we call profit producing leaders. And profit just isn't just about money. Yeah. Profit is also about, are you profitable in your marriage? Right? Are you giving to your wife? Are you, is that energy incredible and overflowing? Profit is an overflow. Right. Right When at the end of the day on the on the P l, when there's profit, it's an overflow of money. yeah. So is your marriage overflowing? Is overflow, your health yeah. of overflowing? Health, of, of love, of, of love, of connection, of presence. So that's what profit producing leaders are. We produce at home this overflow of love, health, uh, spirituality, um, sex, passion, uh, presence with our kids. That's what that is.
0: And now, um, so you said some people are born with more charisma. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, everything's programming, right? Like as a childhood, people can be beat down. I mean, not, not physically. I'm talking about like mentally. Like, mm-hmm. and, then, and then, so this is fascinating. So keep going with this. Like what about in a marriage when you have a woman and a man? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm learning that the man, we need to be the spiritual leader of our home. What about the woman? What if What if you have two major leaders? Mm-hmm. How does that coincide
1: together? Oh, awesome! So I did a lot of work on this. Yeah, uh, there's a book called No More Mister Nice Guy, Doctor Robert Glover. Yeah, if you haven't read it, read it. Read it. It's okay. outstanding. For many years, I was the nice guy. Didn't speak my feelings, and he talks about how the opposite of a nice guy isn't an asshole. It's a man who knows what he wants and is committed to doing it. Right. Yeah, and sharing transparently. I love the book so much. I felt it was my biography that I hired. I I sent him an email like, Hey, do you do coaching or consulting? He's like, yes. How much good? Let's rock and roll. Like it was, it was that. Wow. Right. So for six months I worked with him one-on-one every single week. And he taught me about masculine and feminine energy. Mm. Okay. And there's a masculine and feminine energy that when you polarize them or when, when they are where they're supposed to be, then the magnet attracts. When you flip it on opposite, like a magnet, what happens? They don't. They, you can't stick them together. Yeah. So when a man isn't leading at home, the woman starts stepping up because she's afraid, and she starts getting masculine energy, mm. and feminizing the man. Yes, man. Yeah. Whatever you want, babe. Sure, babe. Okay, babe. Guy doesn't talk about his feelings. Doesn't share isn't transparent, doesn't put his foot down. I'm not talking about like we're going to do it my way or no way. I'm talking about just like this is what I feel. Like yesterday you said something that really pissed me off. This is what I feel. Let's sit down and have a conversation. A lot of the people in my community are getting divorced because they're not just because of that. Because the woman's like, well, what happened to the man that I married? Well, you cut off his balls. (laughs) And he allowed you to. He allowed you to. And he got comfortable there. He let all the responsibility go to you, spiritual responsibility, right? Whatever responsibilities in the household that you guys have. But for me, for a long time, my wife was masculated. She was afraid that I wasn't going to take care of her. And so what happens? She takes care of herself. There's no attraction at that moment. You don't want to have incredible passionate sex with each other. <laughs> when when your wife sees you, she's like, what the hell happened to the guy that I married? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, look at this, you know, look at all this shit talking she's doing to me or whatever. Like, there's no attraction there. And this is common. This is extremely common, especially in today's day and age. Especially. Right? And again, I'm not saying that the man has more power. I'm not saying, it's. we're not talking about that. Right, right. We're right. talking about energy. Yeah. Right? And when... You put those energies in the same bed every night, in the same house every night, in the same you know, weekend with the kids, whatever. If you're not working on those energies, then there's an issue. There's a big issue. And it'll end up in divorce, in affairs, in lots of stuff. All those guys who back in the day, when I was a youngster in synagogue, the club, would say, right, oh, you know, getting married sucks, blah, blah, blah. They're feminized. Yeah. All of them. They're emasculated. They don't have the balls to speak up and say, "Hey, I'm I'm not happy." That's where it starts. Yes, is and if you go back to the leadership concepts, clarity, clarity. That's it. Where am I not happy? Having the courageous conversation and being committed to the process. Let's go. That's it. That's it. That's where it starts. And so everybody thinks about like, "Oh, I need to be able to hire and give great feedback." And no, 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 no. It starts with just being honest, clear. Yeah. Starts with you. Starts with you hundred percent. And like the next step in my leadership framework is we talk about the condition of your mind and your body, right? So you've got to get the baggage out and work on your body and then connecting to people. And not just connecting to people, connect to yourself. So many people aren't connected to themselves anymore. They have no idea what's going on with them. We're just going to work all day long, watching TV, picking up our phones every single moment because we just need to like numb who we are, like when I, when I wrap my tefillin and I put my prayer shawl on and I close my eyes, dude, there's war inside and there's the Garden of Eden inside. And they're just clashing against each other. But I've got to be okay with it because my goal is to get out of that war and step into the Garden of Eden for that day in that moment. And I believe that Jewish men pray three times a day because we have war happening <laughs> <laughs> like many times a day. So wait a minute, do you guys put the thing on three times a day? No, so it's just in the morning, and then you have three prayers a day. And so my my belief is that we pray three times a day to stop and give thanks. Because if from, let's say I prayed at 8 o'clock in the morning, and my next prayer was at 1, then I'm alive from 8 to 1. And then everything's okay from 8 to 1. And we just forget. Wow. I read this book called Here I Am, and there's a concept in there called uh, constant amazement. The fact that you and I are sitting in this room, we should be amazed. We should. The fact that someone on YouTube is going to watch this somewhere is amazing. Yeah. The fact that I got here in a car that you put gas into, that I just push a little pedal and I get here safely, we should be amazed. And we stop being amazed every single day. We do. And we just walk in in mediocrity. Yeah.
0: Take everything for granted,
1: right? I think that's why when we talk about Dr. Matt, why does he step in and talk champion, world changer to you? Because he's always in gratitude, consistently amazed, constantly right? Like this is amazing. Like this is amazing. Yeah. And even though we might have a a fight with our spouse, we don't go to sleep when the good days are there. Like, I love this woman. She's, She's incredible. We don't. You don't eat the meal that she cooked and said, "Man, God bless us." Like she's amazing. You know, and so in Judaism, for example, every Friday night, there's a prayer called Eshet Chayil, which we give thanks to the woman of the house for doing what she's done. Wow. You know, it's a, it's a
0: beautiful... Gosh. Like... What What was the book name? Constant Amazement? What was it called? It's name? called
1: Here I Am. Here I Am. Yeah, because it talks about how to have less stress and overwhelm and be present in your life. And what... When was this book written? Uh, I just interviewed uh, the guy who, the psychologist who wrote it. Come I interviewed on. him last week. Shut up. On my podcast. Yeah. It's amazing, can I get some of these guys on here? Yeah, for sure. And so, he uh, he wrote the book because he started to think, like, well, how do I bring psychology and spirituality together? And so, he talks about things in like the Jewish prayer and concepts of psychology, brings them together into a, a way that we can digest it. And when you digest stuff, like the nutrients are in your body, yeah. And so, now I always talk about this book. I always like look out my window of my office. I'm in Mission Valley. Have like nice trees. I'm like, man, this is awesome. Even yeah. if I sold nothing that day, even if I had somebody, you know, whatever I lost, whatever it was, I think to myself, like, man. Constant amazement. Awesome.
0: So this is. It, it, t- there's nothing more relevant of a topic than what you're saying right now. This book, I think, yeah. than right now. Mm-hmm. In our society, there's nobody in, in amazement anymore. There's nobody that's present anymore. Yeah. Somebody, everybody is somewhere else on their phone. Yeah. Walking across the street. You've seen people now walking literally as they're walking, just looking down at their phone, going through life like yeah. a zombie. Yeah.
1: Like not looking up at the flowers, the trees. And then I, so I do a lot of youth leadership still. And I do, and I will say it's going to get a lot worse. It is going to get a lot worse. And the reason why it's going to get a lot worse is because our kids, our teens, are looking at these phones and they are creating their reality and who they are through this screen and through other people and not through their family. And that's a scary thought. And when they see so much fake success and fake happiness, the amount of stress, Mm. depression... In these youth is going to be overwhelming, overwhelming. And so if you have a teenager, and I don't yet, but I think the biggest thing is to be present. Go take him to the woods. Go somewhere where there's no cell phone reception and just sit with him for two, three days and talk and fish and hike and connect. Because that's what—that's all we want. Like looking at this phone, we we want connection. That's it. It's what it is. We're lacking connection, and through COVID, you know there was no connection. There's a big lack of connection. Don't touch each other. Don't talk to each other. You know yeah. the mask, whatever that your belief is. And I know yours very, very well. Yeah. But it took away connection, and Thank so a God. lot of like the leadership that I do, largely is just connecting back to yourself. And the biggest thing is connecting to the people around you. We've forgotten to have good conversation, real talk. We've forgotten just to share what we're feeling. We've forgotten. And the reason why, because one, we're traumatized of sharing from the past and then everything that's happened now, it's even like pushed down deeper. And we're afraid of being judged. Dude, for my whole life, I was afraid of being judged. I can care less now. I had this, so about four, I don't know if you know, but about four months ago, I burned my business to the ground. I was the number one coach consultant in the pawn shop industry for seven years. And four months ago, I don't know what hit me, and all I thought to myself was, profitable over popular. I'm done being more popular, yeah, doing things for people to like me, than profitable, and we talked about profit before, it yes. wasn't just, yeah, money. just money. It's an overflow of love, relationship, passion, all that type of stuff. And when I thought about that, I was like, holy crap. Because I was just creating content for popularity. I was just saying yes to people for popularity. I was just doing things to look good in the eyes of the others instead of being profitable.
0: And this isn't this is that long ago. Four
1: months ago. Four months ago. Yeah. Shut down the business. This is crazy. It's insanity. It's insanity. Yeah. And like, so right now I'm going through building up a business. You talked about you go through stuff as an yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah. I'm going through those phases. Right? I've got to find like, the new app. Av- now we're cold calling. like It's a whole different business model. Before I was hunting, look at the lion behind yeah. you, I was hunting uh, in a caged field. Yeah, that's right. Right? But that's not leadership. You have to be able to like look at the compass, read the paw prints, what's happening, what's going, connect, and then go hunt. Wow.
0: Yeah. All right, so talk to me about... What what was the, uh, the the turning point for like you because you have three kids now right yeah how did the third uh, pregnancy go how's everything going with the wife did everything turn a corner
1: yeah so third pregnancy was wild it was uh, March of 2020 full COVID going on wife had a conversation with me January of 2020 I want another child I said absolutely not uh, I said the the stuff that we go through I don't know if we're going to last. If it's going to break the marriage, if this, if we do this again, I said, the only way I'm going to have another child, if God sends a miracle, cause we're not supposed to have a child, yes. uh, naturally, if God sends a miracle, rock and roll, she's sick as hell March. And we go to the doctor and we're like, that's it. She's got COVID. Like we traveled. I did a big event. Uh, we traveled, went to the doctor And there was no COVID test back in the day. It was like, really? I couldn't go to the doctor with her because it was like only the patient. And uh, she walks into the car. I have this recorded. And she shows me a pregnancy test. And my words were, no fucking way. (laughs) (laughs) And I crossed my arms. I said, no fucking way. (laughs) I said, I would give you a hug, but I don't know if you're sick. Like, are you joking me? Because it's not supposed to happen naturally. Right. right? I'm like, just tell me the fucking truth. She's like, and she's like crying. She's like, why would I lie to you about this? I'm pregnant. And I'm just like, no fucking way. No way. No way. And we it's we have this recorded. And uh, like, I drove away and I had to stop on the side of the road because I was like, I, I can't, I can't believe this. Like, I cannot, oh my. I can't believe this. So she got pregnant again and our whole fear was like, here we go again. Yeah. Like I can't.
0: Because so, the first two were, you had to do IVF.
1: Yeah, IVF. And it was craziness and hyperemesis uh, through the two. Like it was just insanity. Yeah. So this third one, thankfully it was bad, but it wasn't as bad. We knew exactly what was going on. Um, we knew where like mentally we were, we, the plan was out. Like we we were good. Um, it was COVID. I was at home anyways. Right. Yeah. I was working from home. And uh so it was incredible. Daniela was the third one. She was born. And thankfully, I had known a lot because throughout the other two pregnancies, there was a lot of, again, the porn addiction came yeah, in yeah. because of the hyperemesis. And uh, that all came about because I was like, oh, I'm not cheating. Right? It's all good. Yeah. Like, but that's not the case. And the, so the third baby came. Thankfully, everything was good. November. She's born and my father passes away. Hmm. Like my father passed away thirty days after she was born. Wow. Again, you get locked. Like my baby's born, lock up. Yeah. Dad passes away, lock up. Wife is pregnant, lock up. Like those are what lockups are. They're things that just happen in your life. They're not traumatic events. Yeah. They're just things that happen in your life. So she's born, uh, father passes away. And I think the catalyst was my father passing away. Like when you bury somebody that close to you, you start looking at your life a different way. Right. You're like, am I living life to my full potential? Is this what I should be doing? And for a long time, I knew that I had a greater mission in my life than just being a coach to pawn shops. And I started the company called Pawn Leaders. And I wanted to teach to teach leadership, but I ended up being business development. Like I ended up doing I wrote a book on leadership marketing strategy and customer service. I have the new book coming out in the next couple of weeks for business. So I, I just got really good at business development and business coaching. Right. But I just knew like leadership development was what I wanted to do. Even when I left my brother, my tagline, like Liderato means the, the office of leadership. Liderado. Yeah, that's the company name. Yep. is the office of leadership. Our tagline is building a legion of leaders because that's what I want to do. And the program is called Unlock the Leader. Like it was all leadership based, right? So burying my father, it was very, very hard. I told you the story about him dancing with me. And it just like gave me perspective to my life as to what is it that I really want to do with my life. And so I didn't do anything for a year and a half. I just kept going in the back of my mind. And then like the the picture I showed you when I wrap the tefillin, I have the prayer shawl. It's a way I connect with God, but also with my dad. I just communicate with him. I believe that they're still around us. And he just said like, I got you just go. And so I just, I made a live, I had a Facebook group of thousands of people in it. I went live I said, Hey everybody, I made a decision that I'm shutting down the pawn coaching operation. Thank you so much. It's been incredible. And that's it. And everybody was shocked. Like, what what do you mean? Like, you're going to leave us? I was like, yeah. Like, this is no longer my mission. My mission is no longer just to serve a small niche. It's much bigger because my secret agenda is to help business owners lead so that they stress less and overwhelm less so they can be present with their families. And I can't just do this in a small segment. And it was terrifying, bro, because I went from making, you know, good money to no money. Blink of an eye. Overnight. Overnight. Shut everything off. Wow. And uh, it was scary as hell. The great thing about it was my wife was like, I believe so much in you. Let's go. I'm there. Um, And those... People who motivate, and inspire me around me, saying like, "Dude, you got this. You're a champion. You're a world changer. You can do this. Let's go." I had I, I spoke with one of my friends the other day, and he said, "Egal, I don't even see you just creating leaders and business owners. I I, I see you creating leaders all over the world. Yeah, in youth, in in you know religious areas. In like, at, why just stop at business?" And I was like, "Oh, all right. Yeah. Like when you're spoken into that way." Yes you know that your, your vision and if it's congruent with what you believe, it just amplifies it like a care bear stare.
0: <laughs> Here we go. Again. I had the to, I had bears. to bring that up. You man. brought it back around <laughs> the care
1: bears. Yeah, man. So I, I talk about the care bears in my speeches.
0: You do? Yeah. All right. Tell me,
1: because my belief is like leadership is like a care bear stare. Like, I I don't know like if you ever watched... What are you saying? Like a Care Bear what? A Care Bear stare. Stare. You guys know what a Care Bear stare is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You do? So the Care Bears... You know, you've never watched the Care Bears?
0: You don't? You don't? See, I don't know okay. either. What so is-
1: I'll tell you. If you don't know what the Care Bear stare is, the Care Bears were these uh, fluffy... Yeah, I remember care bears, that. Right? And they live in the clouds. Okay? Okay. And there was always a bad guy in the Care Bears. All right? And how did they defeat the bad guys? With a Care Bear stare. Oh really? It was a stare of like love, compassion, because they each had like a sun, a moon, or, like whatever their signals were, and the way they defeated the bad guy wasn't by beating his ass; it was by Care Bear staring the guy, and then what? Just staring at him? No, no. It, <laughs> it was like a ray of of positivity. It was a ray. Okay. Of uh. Of it was a ray of leadership, is what I am gonna call it, right? And so they'd all they'd all get together, and be like care bear stare, and, and just like shoot at him, right? So the bad guy now, like all of a sudden, had a heart. And so a lot of times when you talk about like how our leaders created, yeah. I think that like people around them have to like care bear stare, so that they see the reality in who they need to be and want to be, let go of all the bullshit that happened in their life, and be able to lead others. That's my belief. Right? Yeah. So we have yeah, to unlock yeah, all that yeah, stuff. So yeah. as we as we pour in positively, and everything that's happened right now, you talked about when you pour in positively to others, you connect, you have compassion for what people are going through. You see those type of things, that's how you create leaders. So just to take it back a step, yeah. yeah. We talk about wake up, right? Clarity, courage, and commitment. We talk about step up and do the work. The next phase of leadership is lead up. You are not a leader until you create more leaders. Mm. I heard this at the Pathfinders event. Yes. Leaders don't care about followers. They care about building more leaders. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So in leadership, it's not how many likes you get. It's, is my team, are they leading in their life? How am I giving back to them so they can lead? Are my kids leaders if they take karate or they're doing football? Are they leading? And how do I pour into them so they can lead? So that's what a Care Bear stare is. It's got a lot of power, my friend. So basically,
0: (laughs) your business is the Care Bear stare. That's it. Because you you instill in people to lead. Yes. All right. So, Bright, let's, okay, we're going to land this, but land this plane on people that are listening right now, watching, listening that they don't see themselves as a leader. Or maybe they want to be a leader. Or maybe they're wondering if they have it in them. Yeah like you're saying that we've all got leadership in us. Yes. Some whether it's a lot, a little, we have it. Mm-hmm. But it just needs to be unlocked. Yep. And you're you're you've got the whole phases of how you stumble upon it. So go a little bit further on that and inspire these watchers and listeners that how important it is to lead, to actually tap into who you are as a leader, right? Mm-hmm. How important is it for them to tap into their own leadership to live a beautiful, fulfilling life? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it's hard to live a fulfilled life like you. Now you're like, wait a minute. You ever take it to a world, like uh, inspire or raise up leaders all over the world, right? You're calling.
1: Yeah. So there's two things and we're going to dive into this. One is you can either lead a team of a thousand people or you can lead in your home. You're still a leader. Okay, give it to me. As long as you're leading. Epic actions create epic results. You've got to take epic actions that make you uncomfortable in order to lead. The three phases of leadership, wake up, step up, and lead up. Wake up is the uncomfortable, the truth, what's not working.
0: That's probably the hardest.
1: That's very hard. But then comes the work. Because I can say, oh, I'm going to go to the gym. I need to lose weight. Right? But the hard part is getting to the gym and being there consistently. That's also hard. Right. So you've got to do the work. Then you've got to lead up. You've got to now inspire, motivate others around you to lead. I have this, my wife always says, like, you just love people. Like, I, I love yeah. people. Like, COVID almost broke me because this whole Zoom thing, the fact that we're doing this, like, face-to-face, yeah. eye-to-eye yeah. is powerful. Yeah. And I love people and I see the good in people. And I know that people can't lead. Have they been swayed a wrong way? Are they bad people? Yes, because they've been conditioned to be that way, right? But at the same time, how do you see like your leadership? If, you, if you're just by yourself every day, you talk to nobody, you see nobody, you have zero, zero connection to anybody in the outside world, leadership, eh, who cares? But if you connect to somebody anywhere, then you can lead. And, you've, and if you lead, you make a difference. And then we go back to just the words that Dr. Matt says. Just the words that I said to David, or I, the the small little act I did with his hat. Yeah, yeah. That's all it is. It's there's small That's leadership. Acts. That's leadership. Like everyone thinks about like, I have to be Elon Musk, or I have to be Bezos and have this huge corporation in order to lead, or I have to be in political status to lead. Absolutely not. Leadership is the actions that you take every single day to make positive movements in other people's lives and in your own. That's the start of leadership. That's it. That's it. I have a, I hope I can say this, and if I don't, you can bleep it out, but I have a really good friend of mine who has gone through a lot of addiction, a lot of addiction, and up and down, helping other people out, and he said something to me one time that I'll never forget. He said, Igal, you can't, Jerk off if you're helping people with two hands. <laughs> and I just sat there like, I was like, dude, that's, that's brilliant. Wow. Right? Like when you're giving to others, when you are helping others, when you're leading other people, you don't think about doing the stupid stuff. Because you see the impact it's making, you see the good it's making, not just in them, but for yourself. Right? Yeah. Like in in, in Judaism... There's a phrase called tikkun olam, being the good of of the planet, like changing the world. Yeah, and so it's instilled in us growing up that like we have to help the world become a better place. That in itself, just the idea, is leadership. Like here, you sell mattresses, right? Right. There's probably salespeople in the mattress industry who just go collect their commission check and that's it. One hundred percent. Right. What does it say on top of your door? It says, "Real do sleep." There's a phrase. What does it say? Your health, our mission. Your health, our mission. You're in a mission. Yeah. Because you know when somebody gets a good night's sleep, they stress less. That's right. They're less anxious. They can go out and work better make more money. There's a deeper mission in life to just selling a damn mattress. Right. And so when I go to these companies, we build the mission for the team so it's not just selling mattress, doing a pond, uh cleaning an office. It's There's something bigger and grander. About it, I gave a speech to commercial cleaners. They are the people who clean the offices. And I said, thank you from the bottom of my heart because I can do what I do. I can teach leadership because my office is cleaned every day. If I had to worry about that, stress about that, take out my garbage, uh, mop the floor, vacuum, I don't think I'd be as focused as I was. And some of them started to cry because people don't understand... The leadership impact that they have, even in the small position that they hold. And that's what I want to take out and break out, right? When you hold the door open for somebody, when you do these little acts of kindness, you're starting the leadership voyage, journey. Yeah. And so it's not just about you, but it is. So if I'm unclear, if I've got stress and depression, I can't help you out. I can't open the door for you. Right. Right, I can't be kind, there's no way. But once I start working on myself and be kind to myself, then I can be kind to others and start leading.
0: And leadership basically is the foundation of everything in our life, of making an impact in the world.
1: Leadership is the amplifier of your life. I made a post about this saying that marketing is a skill, sales is a skill, copywriting is a skill, leadership is an asset that multiplies and amplifies the rest of those things. If you build a business and you're a great marketer and you can lead, holy crap, you build an amazing team. If um, you're great at speaking and you can lead, like if you just like and you can lead to the end of it, it amplifies everything else. If you're a great father and you're leading your kids, well, amplification. If you're married and you lead in your marriage, it's the amplifier. And it's sad because some people don't invest in their leadership because they think it's just another skill I need to learn. But it's not. It's the amplifier of all the skills that you have learned to take it to a whole different level. I
0: love that. I absolutely love that, bro. And we're going to, as much as I don't want to, because I want to keep going,
1: we're going to end on that. Leadership, hit hit us again with it. Leadership isn't a skill you need to learn. It's something that amplifies all the skills that you already have.
0: Everything in your life. Yeah. Your marriage, your relationships. It's the amplifier. Your business, everything. Yep. Dude, this was great. Thank I, w- I want to keep going so bad. But, <laughs> and luckily, the Chris isn't here, the main guy, because he would be flagging me down already.
1: <laughs> the so, white flag?
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, like about, about 20 I minutes I surrender. Ago. I'm going
1: to start to lead now. About 20. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will lead Egal off of this interview. Dude, this was amazing. I'm
1: blessed that you asked me to be here. Really honored. G-
0: give me the name of the business again.
1: Yeah. So you can find me at unlocktheleader.com. Uh, there's a leadership assessment, there's an ebook, and then you can find me on social everywhere at eGalaDato. I'm the only eGalaDato around. (laughs) It's Y-I-G-A-L-A-D-A-T-O. And uh, if you ever need me, what I'm doing now this next year, which is kind of crazy, uh, just to amplify the message, if you have a company that's got 10 or more team members, I'll come in for an hour, complimentary, and do a training session on leadership. Wow. So if you want, just reach out, go to unlocktheleader.com, let me know, and with pleasure.
0: I I got several guys, business owners, that'll watch this that are going to take you up on that. I I already know. Yeah. Because it'd be foolish not to.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Egal Adato. Dude, appreciate the time. It's been an honor. Thank you, brother. Real Deal Talk. That's a wrap, baby. Uh, Appreciate it, brother.